podcast this week. It's April, so why not celebrate by talking to the greatest April of them all, April Ludgate herself, Aubrey Plaza, star of Black Bear. Plus, the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that is delighted to announce that we are breaking away to form our own Super League of Podcast. Sorry. Uh-huh. What's that? Yes. Oh, really? Already? That was quick. All right. Plus, the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that is delighted to announce we are not breaking away to form our own Super League of Podcasts. Wow. Life comes at you fast around these parts. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Emperor Podcast. This week, I am joined by two colleagues. Yes, two. Two colleagues of such lethal cunning as ever, as per contractual obligation. Geek Queen, Helen O'Hara. Hello. Football has amused me more this week than it has in my entire life today. Oh, has so. it amused you, Helen? Has it? Has it, has it has. It's, put me to, it's put me through the emotional <laughs> ringer this week. <laughs> take me to the brink and back again but it's it's fine football and i have made up it's fine we're all good uh and of course our gfnb great big fucking nerd james dyer chris i'm not happy i'm not happy because <laughs> i had written a super league themed introduction to this week's pilot tv podcast and it was yep. my first and only football themed introduction <laughs> and you've now derailed the whole i didn't fuck. you know what? i'm not gonna change it i'm derail- not gonna change it i'm gonna do it anyway I'm just going to I recycle everything from this why podcast to the other you, one anyway. Why should, why should you I roll change punches? Now? Why should yeah. you change anything based on what's happening in real life? I no. I wrote a I did a uh, Super League themed introduction to our Godzilla versus Kong podcast which I which we recorded on Monday and mm. it was in date then and I haven't finished editing it yet and by the time it goes up it's going to be massively out of date but, but hey ho oh good we we'll just Such put it on life. everything we do for the next six months everything this, should have a Super League themed intro indeed this is the life we lead the life we chose and there's only one guarantee or whatever the line is I can't remember it anyway none of us will see heaven or indeed the Super League anyway Heavens be praised, because I have two colleagues of such lethal cunning here, but we also have an occupant in the fourth chair, the revolving (gasps) fourth chair, and it is a brand new occupant, folks. I'm very excited about this. You know, the Super League of Podcasts may not have lasted very long. Minute silence for the Super League of Podcasts. I think that's long enough. That's That's about as long as it deserves. But nevertheless, undeterred, we have teamed up with one of our favourite people and one of our favourite podcasters. She is a senior writer at Fanity Fair, if you please, and on any given day can be heard on a number of amazing podcasts. You throw a stone at the Apple Podcasts app and you are liable to hit a podcast on which our fourth chair occupant this week features, including a cast of Kings, Decoding Westworld and Fanity Fair's own still watching. It is, of course, the one, the only Joanna Robinson. Welcome. Oh my goodness, what an introduction. I have a request, and mm-hmm. I don't know if you have the power to grant this, but I, since- I will fuck off immediately. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> since Helen is your geek queen, can I be like a geek duchess or something like this? A countess? Oh, aim higher. I, oh, am, yeah. I went oh, for yeah. nerd emperor. I've since been oh, demoted, but I had okay. that title for a while. Mm. Zarina, Zarina, <laughs> with shadow and bone out. I like that. All right. right, it's it's timely. Mm-hmm. It's themed. I think that works. This Love is amazing because there is there's precedent, obviously, for Americans coming over here and becoming duchesses, and then <laughs> and then being wonderful and no problems after that. Yeah. Right? No problems. Yeah. No, no problems. Not a thing. 
No. And we all lived happily ever <laughs> after. But how are you? How, how are things going? I'm delighted. I'm thrilled beyond belief to be here. I've been listening to you guys for years. You're my favorite film podcast. So um, I'm that playing it very cool. Can't be Almost true. sounded sincere. That can't yeah. be true. true. It's true. You know there are other film podcasts out there, right? No. On which oh. people who aren't idiots uh, pontificate. <laughs> No, I love I love listening to you all because um, it helps me understand the UK film industry, which is uh, very interesting. Yeah, there's just like a lot of things that you talk about that American podcasts don't talk about. So I'm thrilled to listen to you. Also, I don't know. I'm just delighted to be here. So oh, that's nice. I'll, I'll, I'll try not to uh, lose my mind. With we talk about chips. We talk about the mm-hmm. Queen. Yeah. What else we Good talk Lord. about? Corgis. Cuppers. <laughs> cup of tea. Lovely cup of tea. Right, right. Uh, yeah. Which will... Which will take us straight into the first section because, uh, Joe, we're about to put you off appearing on the podcast ever again because we're bringing back the segment that has had more lives than Michael Myers. It oh, is God. the beloved three-fact structure. <laughs> Parades of people lining the streets, delighted by the return of this. And, uh, and Joe, as it is your first time on the Empire Podcast, I think I'm going to give you the honour of starting off this segment. If you're new to the show, this is the the segment in which uh, my three colleagues of such lethal cunning try to wow me with an obscure, arcane or unusual movie fact and hope that I don't know it. And I, guys, let me tell you, there's not a lot I don't know about movies, right? Okay? <laughs> Apart from right. who directed Print Cadillac and, and all the other stuff that I don't know. Anyway, yes, Joanna Robinson of Vanity Fair. Okay, Have so at it. I I wanted to play in your in your wheelhouse. Yep. Um, but also still manage to surprise you. So hopefully I can. I think you will know part of this fact, but maybe not the full fact. Do you know who Green Steve is? No. The silence should tell you everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, if I put it in the context of Marvel, do you know who Green Steve is? Still oh, no, Lord. but feeling like oh, I Lord. should know, and now, now my ignorance <laughs> now I feel is bad. like yeah. an okay. No, light. I'm thrilled. This is delightful. All right, so Green Steve is the na- is what they call um, any of the, uh, I think there have been three or four of them, stand-ins on um, a Marvel film involving the Hulk that they paint <laughs> green and parade him in front of the camera in order to get the right color matching for Hulk's green skin uh, in the films. Amazing. And I have That's a follow up fact for you. Okay. They're called Green Steve because the first guy was named Steve. The subsequent guys have not been named Steve, but they just call them all Green Steve. <laughs> and the first Green Steve uh-huh. was a Chippendales dancer. So he was oh, a Chippendales wow. dancer on the set of Avengers, uh, Joss Whedon's Avengers. Uh, or what did, what, do you, what did they call it in the UK? Avengers uh, Assemble? Avengers right? as- Marvel's, Marvel's Avengers Assemble. Avengers Assemble. Marvel's Avengers Assemble. Now it's just called the Avengers again. It's, it's, it's back. It's back in nature's healing. Plus. Um, yeah. But uh, but yeah, they Green Steve, a Chippendales dancer. They painted green in order to get the right color matching for Hulk's skin. If That's they don't amazing. play green sleeves while Green Steve is walking in front of the camera, then I don't know anything. <laughs> uh, now they will. <laughs> and so so this this started on the Avengers. This didn't start on Incredible Hulk. No, because Incredible Hulk, uh, Avengers was so much more about motion capture on set and getting like Mark Ruffalo's face into the performance of the Hulk uh-huh. versus what they, you know, Edward Norton had nothing to do with 
the depiction of the Hulk in that in that film. That's yeah. unusual because I would have imagined he would have tried to do the effects himself. But um, yeah, right, and hold the lighting rig and do everything else. He's like, there is no Green Steve. There is only Edward Norton. So yeah, he would have painted himself if he could have. Yeah, I'll play all the roles. Mm-hmm. Write the theme tune. Sing the theme tune. Mm-hmm. That's the Ed Norton way. Sorry, the Edward Norton way. Sorry, the Edward Norton word way. <laughs> That is the way. Uh, that's an amazing fact. I have. Um, uh, have have we all been on set of a Marvel movie here? Just yes, just, yes. Just checking or or yes. TV show. Yes. Have have I've been on set with Ruffalo, but I've never been on set with him in Hulk mode. Has anyone ever done that? Have you ever seen a Green Steve? I've, I've never, I've seen, never seen, seen a Green Steve. I have seen them. You know, they do the lighting test before, and there's like I was on set of Endgame where they had Rocket, Nebula, and Hulk all in one scene. And so they had a little, like, uh, raccoon pelt thing that they had to parade across <laughs> the camera, mm-hmm. a little mirror ball thing that I think was for Nebula's uh, lighting or whatever that they yeah, paraded they across. Yeah. And then they had a, a Hulk head on a stick. It's like a it's like a like That's a cake dark. pop, wow. but it's a Hulk head. It's like but I did Wolf not Creek. See, but I did not see a single uh, Steve painted green. So okay. um, you know, but I've seen photos of it. I know it is true, or at least was true once upon a time. So. All right, bloody yeah. hell! The bar has been raised pretty high. Uh, I'm going to bring the bar crashing down to earth right now by asking James to go next. Are you sure? Are you sure you want to do this? Why don't I go next? I always go last, and it, and really okay, my sure, facts don't sure. live up to that. So go for it. All right. <laughs> Okay, so because I, 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 I was thinking about the collapse of the Super League, I was thinking about other way, breakaway organizations, right? Which led me to, to read up on DreamWorks. And I didn't know that DreamWorks were sued for copyright infringement shortly after they were launched. So DreamWorks, SKG, capital D, capital W, W-O-R-K-S, was sued <laughs> by DreamWorks, no capital W, W-E-R-K-S, which was an pre-existing company that ran Star Trek conventions. Yes. And the older DreamWorks with an E uh-huh. was sued because they were, you know, con- worried that there would be uh, confusion. The case was initially thrown out of court and then they won on appeal because the appeal judge said, look, you know, nowadays you don't just make films, you make a whole raft of tie-in things and there may be conventions and there may be events down the line. So there is a real possibility of confusion between the two. And while it would usually be the case that it's a giant company suing a small upstart you know, for cashing in on their name, it is possible that it can go the other way and that an, an, a small company can have a case against a large one. So um, so yeah, they, they ended up settling out of court and DreamWorks, I believe, eventually folded into another Trek convention organizer. Wow. But, but they did win. I have spelling questions. Why would you? Because I I expect it to either be like a, a brewery because we get works with the Work, ERK like the here for kind of, yeah. yeah and or um you know like something related to drag queens like work you know <laughs> sort of thing but why was it spelled like that Helen Tell I don't me. know unless it was like meant to somehow reflect Trek you know E R K instead of uh, R E K I don't I <laughs> don't have that information. All the Gen Zers, it's all about like crazy alternate phonetic spellings of things. Well, yes, so, but this was in the 90s, so it would have right. been so the Gen were, Xers, I guess. Mm. Yeah. But Time anyway, that perhaps. led me on, just a little tiny bonus fact, that led me oh. on to another oh. Star Wars, Star Trek court so case. So none of those things were your facts, Helen. <laughs> Which fact are you <laughs> submitting? <laughs> Look, I just, I just think you're going to want to know this as well. Obviously. Right? You're going to want to know that in 2009, in, in Colorado, 
a man robbed two 7-Elevens within an hour by wielding a batleth. Yes. <laughs> so I have, a, I have an adjunct fact for you connected to your adjunct fact, which is once the Metro ran a whole thing about the police had, like, loads of people, they had, you know when they have knife amnesties? Oh, yeah. Where people can, you know, send all they'll their blades in. <laughs> yeah, they all stab each other. They it's give the their blades to police and they are not arrested for it. Oh, right. And okay. the police, the, the Metro ran this whole thing, like, they were shocked and appalled at the level of offensive weaponry they've been handed in. And the picture they chose was a policeman holding a fucking bat left. <laughs> and just, they thought that, I don't know, like, gang members are running through the streets hacking each other each other up with these fucking things honestly if they were i feel like the police should just stay out of it and let, let them at it because that's just too cool not yeah to, i mean because because any street yeah. thug knows that the additional reach that the bat left gives you is you know compensated for by the mech left's greater maneuverability <laughs> can, I, combat. can <laughs> i can i add an anecdote that will almost certainly be cut out please my uh, uncle was sued in the 90s by the Hard Rock Cafe for opening up a place called the Slick Rock Cafe in Utah. <laughs> <laughs> and the Hard Rock one. <laughs> so... Wow. That's amazing. I thought you were going to say my uncle, Jeff Hard Rock Cafe, was sued. <laughs> <laughs> That's wild. There used to be um, a town, it, there still is a town in Northern Ireland called Dramora, which is near my hometown in Banbridge. Gamora. Uh, Gamora, no. yes. And uh, they there was a, a cafe there for a short time called Central Perk, and they even used the, the font oh. from the TV show. Didn't last long, you'd be surprised to know. <laughs> I, I have a massive soft spot for eateries with pun names. Like mm -hmm. I remember at university when Jason's Donovan used to come around the Hall's <laughs> oh, Residence selling kebabs. Well I was like, fair play to them. I'll buy a uh, kebab Joe, just for that. Uh, Jason Donovan was a pop singer who was popular here in the 1980s. Okay. Thank you for that translation. <laughs> yeah. It was in Neighbours. <laughs> Neighbours is a popular song. From Australia. <laughs> that one I do know. Neighbors, Neighbors is world famous, right? People know Neighbors. Yes. I mean, they know Neighbors as like the source of various Australian talent, yeah. mostly yeah. In, yeah. in America. That's how we know. Um, like can I tell you my my favorite? Yes. Can I tell you my favorite uh, pun name uh, food truck yes, thing? Yes, do. Uh, it's not a real thing. It's just a thing my friend made up uh, for <laughs> a, a shellfish uh, food truck called Vanaphylaxis. <laughs> that would be amazing. Shocking. There's, a, shocking. there's a very there's a very nice uh, wine shop here in the UK called Planet of the Grapes yes. here in London, oh, nice. which is oh, I'm told I like very good too. wine. I don't drink, but I do love a pun. Planet of the Apes is a film from the 19s. No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Joe's from America, folks, but you know she's not from like a different era. <laughs> have to keep explaining everything. Uh, Jimbo, please give me a fact as succinctly as you possibly can. Okay. So, this week's fact concerns start caravans. Well. This is not a good start. This is it not a good start. concerns caravans, uh -huh. in particular trailers, but not the kind that, you know, Pontins Star has wagons, taken pains Wagoner, to. Yes. Thank you very much That's, indeed. Okay, Jimbo okay. was immediately disqualified. And that was my fact. <laughs> and that was my fact. Excellent. <laughs> Clearly, you also saw the tweet thread by Warner Media CEO Jason Keelar. So... <laughs> All right, fine. I had a whole thing prepared there I was going to share with our listeners, but no, you just fucked give us, it. Give us a cliff notes. Give us a cliff notes. Really? In case people didn't see this tweet thread. Okay, if you didn't. So for everyone except Chris. For everyone <laughs> except Chris. Oh, you absolute bellend. This is about trailers. Absolutely. So, so if you go to any of the studios or film sets, you see a sea of the posh caravans, mainly by the same company as Chris has already pointed out, Star Wagons, 2Gs. Uh, and they're all sort of tricked out trailers with big TVs and dressing rooms and all that kind of mod cons that basically make the nice average home look like a hovel. 
But these all originate, these all originate with Steve Trevor. Because uh, once upon a time, studios used to hire out these sort of regular old motorhomes uh, and the stars used to kick back in those. But they were quite expensive. They kept breaking down. They were like buses. So you needed to have a driver around at all times. Um, and so enter Steve Trevor. So in the late pardon? 70s... <laughs> No, no, no. We're not putting a cap in Steve Trevor. That's a whole level of slash fiction we don't need. Um, right. Anyway, anyway. So Steve Trevor comes in, uh, specifically the uh, Steve Trevor from the Wonder Woman TV show of the late 70s, mm-hmm. uh, who was uh, Mr. Lyle Wagoner, which is an excellent name, two Gs again. Mm-hmm. So he, he was working on Wonder Woman. He had his own little motorhome on set, and he discovered one day that it was being rented by, from a nearby resident. So enterprising chap that he was, he said to him, well, you know, would you, would you rent one from me? And the answer was yes. So what Lyle did was Lyle bought a fleet of motorhomes and he took out loans to get them. Apparently the loan payments were about $400 per home per month, but he rented them out to the studios for $400 a week. Uh, and a few years later, he stopped buying the motorhomes and had trailers built on spec for Hollywood productions, which is, which is when Star Wagons was essentially born. And these were the huge, luxurious, expanding ones that we see nowadays, uh, which are kind of incredible that make stars feel like they're in the Chateau Marmont when in fact they're in a car park so 30 years after he stopped doing this started doing this those top end wagons cost about two million dollars each and are rented out for 10 grand a week lyle is dead now unfortunately uh presumably buried in one of his wagons but uh, he died at the ripe old age of 84 i think last year in fact um, mm. his wagons do live on and can be seen on every hollywood film set so steve trevor trailer master i mean That's my i'm fact. not sure every set because some of the sets i've been on they have not been that fancy Oh, well, true. True. <laughs> I think they have a budget range. The average BBC ours, production yeah. does not have many star wagons on the lot. Yeah. That's what any, I'm any set worth mentioning yeah. has a wagoner. You're really not someone until you've had a wagoner. Exactly. Mm. Mm. I couldn't afford two Gs. My, <laughs> I only have just a wagon. That's such a shame. Mm. Yes. Aww. That is a great fact. Alas, Jimbo, you and I must have been on Twitter at the same time because yes. I, I knew that fact already. Props also to Kevin Price, who alerted me to the thread from Warner Media CEO oh Jackson Keeler. Oh, God. Yeah. But I have to say, so that leaves then Helen and Joe. Helen's fact, DreamWorks made the team works, but it didn't work for me because Joe came Green on Steve. and, Green and Steve. dropped on. a piece of MCU knowledge that we didn't know, know. And that is pretty damned impressive. So this week's winner is Joanna Robinson. Well done. That's all I wanted to do was dazzle the MCU experts with an MCU fact. <laughs> I mean, you are the MCU expert in this room. I mean, you're, you're mm-hmm. writing the book. I'm writing a book, but you know, I'm all respect to you, all of you and what you do. So yeah. Green Aww. Steve, uh, there will not be an entire chapter dedicated to Green Steve in my book, but he will, of course, get a mention. How could he not? <laughs> what, what is your book? Can you, uh, can you talk about it at this point? Oh, sure. Um, we're just, we're, we're trying, uh, my co-author Dave Gonzalez and I are working on something we're trying to call the complete history of Marvel Studios, but that's a lot to cram into one book. So mm. we're doing our best to get it all in there, green Steve and all. So yeah, that will be out not until next year. So it's, it's we've been working on it for a while. We will be working on it for a while, but yeah. someday you'll have it in your hot little hands. Excellent. You might, you might see some interviews from some people on this very podcast if I get my way. So, you know, stay oh. tuned. 
Stay really? Tuned. Oh, really? so James, James, James is available. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. I can absolutely Definitely. negotiate his his availability, and he recharges a thousand pounds per interview. So that's that's totally fine. <laughs> yes. oh, that's uh, except each chapter I contribute yeah. to has to be about seven hundred thousand words. <laughs> And when when you, when you say charges, you mean he pays you a thousand pounds? Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. yeah. obviously. <laughs> writing books is a wonderful get rich quick scheme, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> anywho, anywho, that is it for this week's Helen versus Publishing. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for this week's three fact structure. We're going to barrel straight into the listener question, and the listener question this week comes from at Dan Sturton on Twitter, and he asks. What's the biggest spoiler you've ever discovered on a set visit and had to keep secret until the film's release? Mm. Interesting one. Who wants to go first? Okay, this? so first of all, let's just say I think Chris is has the biggest answer to this. <laughs> oh, I think you mentioned I it before, Chris, but I, I think that one is like very Which big. Which one? Because I think Joe, who was on set of Avengers Endgame, would automatically have had access to knowledge that no one else had. But you had access to information about Endgame at the time of Infinity War. From Green Steve. From, from Green, well, yeah, from Green Mark. <laughs> from Green, Green Mark. Mark, yeah. Oh, loose ruffalo lips sink <laughs> shit. Honestly, <laughs> honestly this, it's, a, it's almost like there's truth in cliches. <laughs> That's like where they begin. Yeah, I was on set of uh, Infinity War. Uh, it was a day when... Ebony Maw came to Earth. Go shake my fist. Ebony Maw, damn you! And it was it was Ruffalo, it was Downey, it was Cumberbatch, and it was Wong. And uh, and I had a chat with all of them, and I was chatting to Ruffalo, and I I was naturally curious about how Bruce Banner, because Thor Ragnarok hadn't come out at this point, and I was naturally curious about how Bruce Banner was on Earth when we knew that he was going to be in space as the Hulk in Ragnarok. And uh, Ruffalo, who's a lovely, lovely fella um, in my experience, uh, turned to the unit publicist on the film, John Pisani, who looks exactly like Mark Ruffalo, he by the way. Does. He does. He yeah. really does. Yeah. I think we've said this in the podcast before, but he, they look so alike that Pisani is sometimes used as a decoy to lure the paparazzi away from Ruffalo. So he'll go out of a hotel and they'll go, Ruffalo! And they'll run after him and then Ruffalo will go out the side entrance. <laughs> and, and he single-handedly started rumours that uh, Ruffalo was in Civil War because he was the publicist oh, on Civil War. He's banging around. That's so funny. <laughs> so as in people saw him and then they started the rumours, he wasn't going around going, hey, no, no, he, Mark per Ruffalo he personally was not doing it, but like just his presence there Because that would be a bad talking. unit publicist. He didn't walk up to people and go, hey, I'm Mark Ruffalo. I'm here. <laughs> yeah. Civil I mean, War. Not that hey. I witnessed. Not hey. that I witnessed. Hey, I'm Mark Ruffalo. Where's my trailer? I want to start wagging. Hey. Is Mark Water Ruffalo family. on this podcast all the time? Bada bing, bada bing. You That's, know. Yep. It's uncanny, isn't it? It's just really uncanny. I don't know what's going on. Dead on, so, dead on. So I'm talking to Ruffalo on the set of Infinity War, and uh, I go, hey, how's Bruce Banner in this movie? And he turns to Pisani and goes, what can I tell him? And uh, Pisani's like, oh, it's fine. You know, you can tell him everything. And Ruffalo took that to mean. Everything. What Pisani meant was you could tell him how Bruce is in this movie. But Ruffalo took that to mean, oh, I can tell him everything. And so he was like, 
Oh, hey, you know, well, you know what, what the bad thing? And I come from the Ragnarok, oh and I'm here, and I, you know, got the warning to the, the the Avengers. And then he's like, hey, and then the next movie, I'm like the smart Hulk. You know, that's pretty nice. You know, it's a good act for me. Yeah, you know, bad thing. <laughs> wow. You know what I'm saying? Maybe and I'm so. like, I feel like some of us at least should apologize to Mark Ruffalo for this. <laughs> and also the people and of I don't know where. Everyone who listens to the podcast. <laughs> New Jersey, New York. New Jersey, New York? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Brooklantic City? <laughs> it's it's from it's from around that area. You you wouldn't know him. He went to a different school. But yeah, uh, okay. Scorsese you know. town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Forget hey, it. Again. You know what is, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so uh I'm walking here, I'm walking. And okay. uh so yeah, he's he basically just let let, let, let let loose that um or let slip that uh that Smart Hulk was gonna be in Avengers Endgame. And I was just sitting there going, Okay. Mm-hmm. Not sure what I can do with that information, um, which I guess before we get on to other spoilers you guys have, have talked about, some people will be going, why wouldn't you give that away? Why wouldn't you tell that uh, piece of information in your set visit report? You're not exactly, you know, it's not a government secret. It's totally fine to do that. But why don't we do that? Well, sometimes we, we see incredible spoilers on, on sets of something and we don't spoil it. Now, I think we're just being good people. But are we being good journalists? What, what, what's your what's your moral and ethical stance on this? Do they not have you sign any kind of NDA? There's also that. <laughs> There's there also, is also that. Marvel that. will come for your future children. I'm not you... even sure I can tell that story that I just told. I may have to bleep everything, <laughs> by the way. I think you've told it on the podcast before, though, Chris. I told it on a live podcast. I think it was one of the live podcasts that actually didn't go oh, okay. out. Oh, fine. All right. I, think, okay. I mean, once it's out, it's out, right? It's already yeah. done. Yeah. Yeah. The movie's you know, out. The movie's I, out. I believe the movie's out. Is this, also, you is described this right? his voice well enough that no one will know who you're referring <laughs> to. Know. Hey, I'm Mark Ruffalo. Stop your Avengers movies. Even then, people wouldn't know who it is. No, they really wouldn't know. Yeah. Oscar nominee, Mark Ruffalo. Uh, <laughs> hey, you want me to catch a fox? I'll oh catch God. a fox for you, oh, you fuck. It's what I'll Mark Ruffalo you, says. I'll let you spot. All right. So, no, um, I there's, there's the scary NDA that they have you sign. Yeah. But there's also like, you know, there's certain surprises you want to preserve for mm-hmm. the audience, I think. Yeah. So there's there's some secrets worth divulging and some secrets worth keeping. Yeah. I, I, th- I think that's it. I think you're, you've, you're there to report on the film. You're not there to spoil everything about the film in advance. And actually, sometimes it can be helpful. The more you know about the film, the more you know what's a spoiler and you won't spoil it by accident, mm. which I think has happened a couple of times in history. And of course, I'm blanking on the examples, but there have been times where we didn't know something was a spoiler. Mm. And then, you know, we've gotten angry calls from PRs or we've gotten angry complaints from readers that they didn't want to know that going in. And we're like, well, you know, if I'd known it was a spoiler, it wouldn't be in there. I don't know. What can I How tell you? How dare you tell me Benedict Cumberbatch is playing Khan? I can't believe you spoiled it. <laughs> Which I mean. did literally happen when our former editor was on set of that film. J.J. Uh, Abrams, who I've never managed to get a spoiler out of in my life, so close-lipped is he on everything. And then our former editor just goes up and says, it's Khan, isn't he? And J.J.'s like, yep. It's like, how? How? How was this done? How? Am I just a genuinely terrible journalist? Is he a genius? I don't know. I did Maybe the junket for ask. that, and they wouldn't admit it on yes. the junket months you know later. I mean? And they were still shooting. And not only that, J.J. even brought him over to one of the photon torpedoes, said, look inside. And it was one of the, the Uber menches inside the photon torpedo. I don't know what Man. Going on there. 
Madness. Um, uh, I, I'm trying to think of ones that I know. I, I'm, I'm still sitting on a couple um, for films that haven't come out yet. Go on, spoil something for I'm us. I'm definitely no not going to spoil Black Widow for you. Definitely juicy. not going to do that. Um, it's a very minor spoiler about the start of the film, not the end. So, But I'm not going to do it anyway because I was told it was a spoiler. The one that comes to mind is from that beloved classic X-Men Origins Wolverine. Um, <laughs> which I know is near and dear to all our hearts. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's that whole thing about are any X-Men going to be in it? And they were all like, no, no, no X-Men. And then they walk yeah. us past a trailer, one of these wagoners that says Scott Summers on the door. And I'm a bit like, I mean, dude, come, come on. Like, That's come a different on. Scott Summers. You, yeah, yeah. you wouldn't yeah. know me. Completely you went different. to a different Scott. Yeah. AD Scott Summers. <laughs> yeah. It's one M, two Gs, but one M. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very, very quickly, I want to bring uh, John James in on this one, obviously, but while you've mentioned that, I might as well say my two Wolverine-related ones uh, also. I'm, I've said this in the podcast before, I'm sure, but uh, on the se- not on the set of X-Men First Class, but on the editing suite of X-Men First Class. I went to LA to in- interview Matthew Fawn, and I went into the editing suite where Eddie Hamilton, who may be listening to this podcast, so hello, Eddie, if you are indeed, was editing a sequence and I walked in to talk to him and Matthew and there on the screen was Hugh Jackman <laughs> and they had just they had paused it clearly to stop work on the sequence and maybe hadn't just got it off the screen in time and there was there was Jackman with his cigar out and I was like oh okay uh, so Wolverine's in this movie that's a good one and um uh, I was also on set of, you know, the X-Men movie whose name we dare not speak, uh, Apocalypse. I was on yeah. set of that for a while and I was on set. This has never happened before. But it was pretty cool, actually. Um, I was on set for the additional shooting, which I've always wanted to do. I've always wanted to go on set of one of these things when they're doing a bit of an additional shooting. And I was on set uh, back in Montreal for Hugh Jackman's cameo. So, you know, because I had, I knew that was happening. And so I'd, I'd said, can I come back for the Hugh Jackman cameo? And so I was on set for maybe th- two, three days, I think, in Montreal. Hmm. You wouldn't have liked that Helen, he was topless the entire time. Oh, no. Oh, what that's a shame. just terrible. Uh, yeah. yeah. Disgraceful. It was awful. Awful. Mm. Didn't know where to look. Mm. I would have. <laughs> His eyes are up here, Chris. You <laughs> could you just turn around for me a second? I think, I think you got something on your back, mate. Oh, oh uh, uh, yeah. So there, those are my two Wolverine ones. Joe, you were on set. You were an actual set of Endgame um, mm-hmm. because I was meant to be on set of Endgame, and then it got cancelled at the last minute. I've always thought that they realized that they would have to have got Ruffalo to tell me what would happen in Infinity War before, <laughs> before I went and said, and that was far too dangerous to do. But you were actually on set of Endgames. How much did you know on that set visit? Oh, not that much. Well, I knew I was on the set of Endgame before Infinity War came out. Mm-hmm. So I did. I was able to do some math about who had survived the snap. Right? Okay. So there's that. And then um Scarlet did tell me that Brie was there, so I knew that um, Captain Marvel was going to be in it at least a little bit. She wasn't there that day, but she was telling me she, she was Scarlet Johansson told me a story about telling Brie Larson sort of how to interact with the Hulk because Captain Marvel Carol was supposed to stop the Hulk like by putting a hand on his chest, and she put her hand at like Ruffalo level, and Scarlet was like, "No, higher. <laughs> his chest is up there. <laughs> You'll get it." Um, and then, no, but the big thing I saw, and I'm really glad yours is Smart Hulk because then we can have a little matchup. Mine yeah. was a uh, Lebowski Thor. So I saw <laughs> I saw Lebowski Thor, and I interviewed Chris Hemsworth. With the beard, 
he had the beard and like the wig and he was just he was eating lunch and he was making a mess of of some like tuna salad he was eating and it was getting all in his like (laughs) beard and it was just you know he was just sort of like it was between takes he had to like hurry and give me the interview and so he was just sort of like and not used to a beard (laughs) so it was just like this very like tuna-y Lebowski beard um that's amazing that Chris Hemsworth was wearing so I knew about Lebowski Thor so it's Lebowski Thor versus Smart Hulk I think think well we haven't heard what what James has to say, though. So, well, I, I certainly have no end game sports. I will say, when I was on set on, of Avatar, there were n- absolutely no attempt to maintain any kind of spoiler boundaries whatsoever. Like it was absolutely talk about the end of the film. Like no one even pretended it was a secret. It was just completely open book. So Gwyneth was like, "Yeah, well, obviously, when I die at this point, this," and I'm like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! What is happening? You're just ruining the film." But they did. They pretty much talked about everything. I'm not quite sure why. But uh, yeah, there was there was never any discussion of of not giving away everything. <laughs> I guess there isn't the same frenzied anticipation of that in advance. Yeah, yeah, and maybe it was a concerted thing because I think mm. it, the, you know they were trying to sell the concept of it. But I don't know that you sell the concept by literally giving away the end. I mean, I didn't share it, but uh, but they were very very open about everything. In fact, like I did. Um, do you remember the Nick Cage, uh, the Andrew Nichol film, Lord of War? from like 2005 i mean my i spent a week on set of that in cape town and my first day the unit publishers came up and just dropped the script in my lap and then walked away i was like (laughs) okay all right thanks (laughs) so i read the whole script on the first day that can be really helpful usually that only happens with like sort of you know independent films they will actually show you the script Mm. and it's so helpful because then you Mm. you can tell yourself what the spoilers Mm. are and you're not trying to guess from this partial information because Mm -hmm. you know i've I've told this before but like on civil war i went in and i said to chadwick boseman okay what can you tell me about t'challa at the beginning of this film i wasn't even saying black panther i was not even (laughs) assuming he was already black panther you know and and he just kind of shook his head and went i'm like nothing the (laughs) beginning you can't tell me the beginning can you tell me the wow. middle? I mean, <laughs> how does it end? <laughs> I don't. I genuinely, yeah. Maybe he could have told me that. Maybe that would have been fine. Um, I went on Snow White and the Huntsman, and I was there for the day with the eating of the apple. Now, I don't know if you're aware of the story of Snow White, but that's pretty, you know, no. pretty built in. That has to happen. And and they told me that was a spoiler, and I couldn't write about it. And I was a bit like. Then why am I here today? <laughs> yeah. 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 I must admit, those are the most thankless ones where you do a lot of interviews for film and they can't even confirm no. there's a film being made. Like, it's mm-hmm. just like the Star Wars ones, the Star Wars sequel ones were a bit like that. It's like, can you confirm that you are in this film? Mm, let me just check with someone. Hang on. It's like, <laughs> oh my God, you're killing me here. I've got to write 5,000 words. <laughs> can you talk about, I don't know, your costume? How is <laughs> oh, the catering? I can't catering? confirm that I'm wearing a costume, I'm yeah. afraid. No. I can't confirm. I exist. Sorry. You're also just trying to like, you're, you are trying to play detective a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. With like what you see and yeah. stuff like that, right? Yeah. So for Endgame, it was like, uh, you know, Scarlet's hair was wearing, Scarlet was wearing a wig where her red hair was half grown out in that braid, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I was yeah. like, uh, time jump question mark and uh, but then the, but then there's things you get wrong like uh, Chris Hemsworth was wearing sunglasses the entire time and I thought that's because he was still missing an eye so I was like Thor never gets his eye back another eye um, but it was just because he was wearing <laughs> too yeah. hard you know um, stuff like that so uh, yeah you get some things wrong you get some things right and I've heard yeah. that James Gunn especially likes to leave false clues um, out oh, really? for journalists, like put fake names on the call sheet. Um, <laughs> and when, what was the character that Kurt Russell, people thought Kurt Russell was playing in Guardians 2? 
um, no, Jason, Jason with two J's, something like that. Anyway, yeah, they p- they put the wrong name on the back of his chair ah. to like mess with the journalists. That's yeah, yeah. Funny. On Kingsman Two, Colin Firth was number one on the call sheet, but under a completely different name. But it, it was still Colin Firth's picture on the wall. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, so not Sherlock level. And you're mystery. like, oh, oh, you tried. <laughs> yeah. and, and just like the consistency as you go around the set, you know, they wouldn't tell me who Pedro Pascal was playing in Wonder Woman 1984. But when you went into the costume department, there it was marked right. with his character name, which I'm not going to say right. in case anybody still haven't seen it. But like it was right there. So yeah. he's playing Smart Hulk. We all know it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the, the loose lips thing is really funny though because it only takes a Tom Holland or a Mark Ruffalo or something to do this stuff. Like when I was on Dark Fate, again they were being really cagey about that film, which we now know why. And uh, <laughs> and, and and then I sat down with Linda Hamilton for like an hour, and she did not give a flying fuck. <laughs> She's just like, and then this happens, and then this happens. <laughs> it's like, okay. Arnie, Arnie must not be the sort of person to tiptoe around spoilers either. And then at the end of the film, I die again and die, and come back and I come back. Was it no, like that? He's, he, he's quite cagey about it. Like, he, I think he's, you know, he's, he's media trained enough to know what he should and shouldn't say. But the, the thing that the thing that gets me is when they go, oh, I can't tell you anything. I can't tell you anything because the studio will be mad with me. And it's like... It's like- you're Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> you're, you're, you're not going to be fired. You're the You're the former governor of California, to <laughs> yeah. our shame. Nothing is going to happen to you. Like Ruffalo, no one's going to no one's going to replace you as Hulk. There is no history in the MCU of the actor playing the Hulk being replaced. So you're totally fine. <laughs> you see, I remember that when I did that big uh, the career piece with Arnold, and he, t- I said, oh, you know, what are you working on next? And he listed like maybe the next four things he was working on, and spoiled every single one of them. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, yes, and then there's breach, and it turns out that this happens, and you're like, what? no, no, what are you doing? And then a TV show that never even happened. I know how that would have ended. <laughs> oh. It's just like Christ. Do you know uh, in 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 the states, if you go to a state school, um, you're diploma is has bears the signature of the governor of that state when you graduate so really? uh schwarzenegger's signature is on my diploma no way Whoa. that's amazing see you may not appreciate that joe but but jimbo would honestly he would buy that off you for you five thousand dollars yes give me your high school diploma immediately <laughs> i want your clothes your boots your motorcycle your high school diploma <laughs> so is endgame like the pinnacle for you in terms of spoilers joe uh, yeah, I mean, because that was that was the scariest NDA I've ever signed mm-hmm. uh, in my life. It was. It you was... will be snapped out of existence by Thanos <laughs> if you reveal any plot points. That was a really scary set to be on, um, because they were very nervous. I, I don't think they wanted me there, but you know, <laughs> so it goes. It sounds like an amazing day, though. I mean, imagine if imagine if you'd gone on set of Endgame and due to a scheduling. You know, they, they had to right. reschedule something. You ended up on Tony's funeral. <laughs> so there's a journalist oh, you mean, there. You mean the wedding? Why are all these sad people at a wedding when there doesn't seem to be anyone getting married and they're all wearing black suits and everyone's crying? Um, the most Wait, can I tell the most useless, obnoxious sort of spoiler protection rigmarole that I've ever been through? Yeah. Of course you can. Um, Go for it. It was on the set of the Showtime TV series Roadies. Um <laughs> 
from Cameron, the short-lived Cameron Crowe series is sort of like an almost famous S, yeah. but modern. Yes. Um, and they invited me on set. They really wanted me there. But due to a quirk in, in you know scheduling, they were filming a scene where they were going to be shooting the cover of a magazine and there was an Annie Leibovitz type character in it. And because I work for Vanity Fair, they didn't want me to see that. So they just sort of like dog and ponying me around <laughs> everything they were filming and they had to just like keep bringing people out into the rain to talk to me so like Carla Gugino or like whoever was like in the you know just had to and I and they wouldn't tell me what was happening and finally like later they were like oh well we thought you would be offended you know or, or Vanny Fair would get offended or Annie Leibovitz get offended I was like I don't text with Annie Leibovitz I wouldn't have been like <laughs> heads up Annie <laughs> Oh, Rox- I think it's yeah. Uh, Rosanna Arquette is playing a version of you. I wouldn't have done that anyway. So it was just so <laughs> stupid because I was like, I'm being jerked around for some reason. They won't tell me why, and then it was just the worst, stupidest reason. So, yeah. Well, the show, the show was short. And then I got the I got the show canceled. Yeah, to Avengers. Yeah, absolutely. Though, you personally. Uh, yep. Yeah. yeah. R.I.P. R.I.P. Yeah. That show. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward to Marvel's roadies. What's it called? Armor Wars. So that's going to be <laughs> that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Oh, it's Very a show. Here we go. There Here we go. go. Mm. Uh, yeah, I'm going to just mention a couple more really, really quick ones because uh, when I was talking about scheduling, rescheduling snafus, I don't know whether this is a deliberate thing or not, but I have found myself on the set of several movies where they are shooting, and I shit you not, the very last shot of the movie, mm-hmm. uh, which makes it very, very difficult to talk about. <laughs> it makes it very <laughs> difficult to even list the actors who are on set that day when you're writing about it. So I was on the very last shot of The Losers, in Puerto Rico, and the very last shot of a film called Collide, which was then known as Autobahn, uh, with Nicholas Holt and Felicity Jones and uh, Anthony Hopkins. And I had a great day. I went to I went to Germany for the day, and I spoke to Tony Hopkins in his trailer. It might have been a star wagon. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, chatted with Nicholas Holt and Felicity Jones, Naran Creevy. Had a wonderful time. I don't think I wrote a word about that. I'm not entirely sure because you just can't. You're you're yeah. straight jacketed mm-hmm. by the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, mm. it's incredibly unhelpful, actually. And I yes. get it. Like, that's the day when everyone's there and they, they feel like if they can get you through loads of interviews because it's the big, you know, finale and at least everybody's going to be on set. So they don't have to have you there multiple days and coming back and forth. But the thing is, you can't get everybody because they're on set because they're doing the big finale, which is complicated and has lots of moving parts. And so there isn't time. And also, you can't write about what you're seeing because it's the big finale. So it's just. It's exhausting and possibly not the best strategy, actually. Anyway, and sometimes it might just be because you know you were booked in to come, and then they had to move the sure. day. So that so happens. Yeah, 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 that, yeah. That it happens. might be that. But it I mean, look, we, we sound like we're grossing about this, and we're you know, we do love going on sets. But yes, yeah, sometimes you it. end up in these weird situations. I miss it intensely. It's it's one of the things mm. I I miss most. I was thinking what I miss most the other day in terms of how the pandemic has affected us and Where what did we I do. Come on this list. Uh, very, very low oh. down. Second page. Second page, actually. <gasps> no. I've seen you. I've seen you. I've, I've seen you in the flesh since since this pandemic began. Um, Only through my cam, Chris. <laughs> my OnlyFans. Your OnlyFans. Only fans. <laughs> the, the only James. <laughs> uh, but I really miss set visits. I've been on one. I've been on one set visit since the, since this whole thing began. Um, and it's it's crazy. I really mm. want to go back. Um, go especially on, if, if Ruffalo was there. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not even sure I can say what I was on set for, but I was I was I went up to Scotland recently for a for a set visit, and that was it was wild. You know, I had to get tested mm. and you know wear a proper mask and not hug people, which is my natural inclination. You know, I see I see a movie star, I hug them. That's just what I do. Oh God. 
But I wasn't allowed. And he in has this, the restraining orders to prove it. Yeah. yeah. Usually they're like, "Hey, Ruffalo, hey, me up. hey, Billy <laughs> oh, Blanco from the Bronx," and then we we hug, and it's such a beautiful, beautiful scene. Uh, any more for any more before I move on? No, no we're no, good. I think this is the biggies. We're good. I will say I'm sitting on a pretty big spoiler for No Time to Die, but anyway, no time to discuss that. <laughs> <laughs> If you want to have your question read out in the Empire Podcast, you can get in touch via one method and one method only at the moment, which is Twitter. You can reply to any of my tweets. I'm at Chris Hewitt on Twitter. You can slide into my DMs, but be nice. and uh, Or you can just wait for me to do a panicked shout out every now and again. Uh, so yes, thank you once again to Dan Sturton and Dan Sturton for the question. Time now for this week's guest. Oh, wonderful, wonderful Aubrey Plaza. So good as April in Parks and Recreation. So good over the years in films like Scott Pilgrim vs. the World and and Safety Not Guaranteed. And now she's fantastic, really, really fantastic in this week's Black Bear, uh, in which she plays uh, a writer who is going through some relationship shenanigans. Or is she a writer? Or are there relationship shenanigans? Oh, what the hell is going on? (laughs) Not entirely sure if I'm honest with you, but... it. Gave me the chance to talk to Aubrey Plaza via Zoom last week, and uh, she was as Aubrey Plaza-ish as I could possibly have hoped. Do please enjoy. We're delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by the star and producer of Black Bear, Aubrey Plaza. How the devil are you? Oh, I am so good, Chris. I am currently coming at you from overcast Los Angeles. And I've never felt better. <laughs> I'm coming at you from fucking freezing London. It's really cold here. That's always cold there. Yeah, this is true. This is true. What's your What's your London experience been like over the years? Actually, you know, I've re- I've only ever worked there in the summer, so I've only gotten to see the fun summer summer times of of London. But I was just there in January. I was quarantining there for a week, and it was freezing cold and dark. And scary. <laughs> and that was because you've you've just made a, a, a film with our national treasures, Mr. Ritchie and and the Staith, as we call him over here. The Staith. That's right. Jason Statham. <laughs> How was he? How was his Staith? He's alright. He didn't. The job got done. We killed everybody. <laughs> yeah, I need to work on this. <laughs> I need to work on this for that press tour. Yeah, yeah. Get get your Staith impression down. Absolutely. Uh, is it true that the Staith improvises all his kills on his movies? Like none of them are in the script. He just kills people, and if he feels like it, and they have to work in it, the script somehow. I will say. I will actually say that yes. I will say that um, it's mind blowing how how improvised some of these action sequences are, and some of the, just any sequences are when you work with Guy Ritchie. You never know what's what's going to happen. <laughs> you never know who's going to be killed next. Yeah, which poor die or live or whatever. Like, <laughs> which poor extra is going to have their life ended by Jason Statham? Still, it's a way to go, isn't it? It it really is. It really is. <laughs> uh, but Aubrey, I wanted to apologize before I, I begin because uh, obviously, you know, this is going to be a, a wonderful interview, and you're going to have a great time. But I know that you were interviewed for Black Bear recently by Adam Sandler, and I can't help but feel that I'm not going to live up to to that. Oh my God. I can't believe he did that. I had no idea he was going to really do that. That was the best phone call of my life. He's like, Aubrey, it's Adam. What's going on? I'm like, Adam, where are you? Um, 
Yeah. No, you're great. You're you're great. He just <laughs> he just wanted me to talk about food the whole time. He's like, so so what would you eat on set? Would you what were you snacking on? I'm like, that's your question. You want to know what I was snacking on while I made black bear? Um, carrots? I don't know. <laughs> All he cares about is food. Yeah, I mean that was pretty much my opening question. What were you snacking on whilst making this movie? <laughs> but uh, but I, I know you guys have worked together. But how did that happen? How did that come about that you ended up being interviewed by by the Sandman? He's just the best. Um, we you know we worked together in Funny People, which was the first really the first m- movie I ever was in. Um, I mean, big movie, and uh, he was a mentor for me. Like totally looked out for me like a big brother and I haven't seen him in a really long time, except I hosted the independent spirit awards, uh, the last two years. And he of course won, um, in the, in the last year for, um, for the safety brothers movie uncut gems Mm -hmm. and gave one, one of the all time best acceptance speeches I've ever seen in my life. YouTube that now, um, listeners, but, um, so we had just kind of like recently had a little like reunion, I mean, on live television, you know, cause I didn't, I saw him on the, on the show. I'm like going up to the table, you know, with the mic and he's going, Hey, Aubrey, how's your grandma? It's Adam. I'm like, she's good. And we're back. And next up is Jason Bateman. Like that's how we were catching. So I think he was fresh in my mind and, and, uh, and I just, reached out to him and asked him to do it and he said yes because he's just that guy he's just a nice he's a mensch that's amazing so this is this is for this was for a interview magazine where the idea is that famous people interview famous people and put people like me out of a job which is great but so they, they went to you they said hey Aubrey Plaza you could be interviewed by anybody in the world and you you went happy Gilmore I went I went Happy Gilmore. I went Punch Drunk Love. I went everything. I just, he's, he was honestly, he, since from a young age, Adam Sandler was someone that I was always like, man, if I could have anyone's career, it would be that guy's career. Like, what a career. Like, just doing hilarious, ridiculous, funny comedies then seamlessly transitioning to like working with Paul Thomas Anderson and doing movies like punch drunk love so beautifully. And there's just, I just, to me, that was everything. I was like, he's got it all. And he wears sweatpants while he does it. I mean, what, what a better, what a better life, what a better life could you have? (laughs) Um, The guy really nailed it. He really did. He really did. And, and black bear, Here's a great segue. You're going to love this bit of segue. Uh, where does that fit in your Adam Sandlerization of of your career? Because this is a, a it's a comedy, it's a psychological drama. It's a, it, there's bits of horror film in there. It's a mind fuck of a movie. Um, is this more of your punch drunk love than say a Hoobie Halloween? <laughs> yes, I would say this is more of a more of my uncut gems rather than a than a Billy Madison. But um, but just because of the kind of shooting down and dirty kind of shooting style and the energy, the chaotic energy and of of it all. But yeah, I mean, you know, it was it's just one of those parts that you just know if you're going to do it, you're really going to have to dive off the deep end and get a, get gnarly and just get expose yourself and just get vulnerable. 
I mean, there's, there's not to give too, too much away, but there's an extended period towards the end of this movie where it's grueling. And I mean this in the best possible way. This is a compliment. It's grueling watching what your character is going through and what you're putting yourself through as an actor. And I know from having read previous interviews with you that there was an aspect of that that was daunting for you in this movie. Absolutely. Yeah, if it's grueling to watch it, you know, imagine doing it. But no, it was, yeah, I mean, I think I read the, I read the script and it was hard to read. I mean, it was, it was painful. And a lot of, a lot of the stuff in the movie is really inspired by things that Larry Levine, the writer, director, and I had talked about previously and our own experiences on making small movies with our partners and how complicated it can be to make art with someone you love intimately. And it's just, it's complicated and messy and very personal to me. So it was painful and uh, uncomfortable, but I think that's why I did it because I felt like at that time in my life, I was just like, I need to experience this. I don't know why, but I just had to go there. The experience of reading the script was because uh, watching the film, it uh, flips convention on its head uh, a few times. Again, I don't want to delve too deep into into spoilers, but it doesn't always go where you think it's going to go. And it reinvents itself as it, as it goes along, becomes something that you're not expecting. Um, and from your point of view, reading this thing for the first time, um, I am I haven't read the script, but I imagine there's a precision of language in the, in the descriptions that that Larry has has written. Um, what was the experience like reading it? Were you taken aback, taken by surprise by some of the, the the twists and turns? Absolutely, I I couldn't believe the the turn it takes in the, in the middle of the movie. It was just it's uh, the structure of the movie is just unlike anything I've ever seen, and uh, and there's almost a there's almost kind of this dreamlike nightmarish kind of vibe to the movie that feels very um, abstract in a way, um, but also very real at the same time. So it's like a very interesting combination. And, um, and I think the movie, the way it was written was so, was so sure about itself in a way. And, and there were descriptions about my character and about what I'm doing in the movie that were so scary to me that were kind of like, and then Allison does give not to spoil, but, and then Allison, you know, gives the best performance anyone's ever seen. And like things like that, where you're just like, that's not a thing. Like you just can't write, you can't, <laughs> you can't write that and expect me to go. Oh yeah. yeah, Okay. So you just, you want me to just do the best performance anyone's ever seen. Got it. I will do that. Uh, when, when is that Wednesday? Wednesday, got it. Wednesday, I'll do the best performance that anyone has ever seen, Larry, you asshole. Um, so, like, that's how it started, you know? And so when you start there, it's like, it's only up up from here or down, depending so, on the day. So that's amazing because you, you, you've seen that, but you run towards it, which is great. If I had read something like that, I would have gone, look, I could give you the, maybe the 37th best performance anyone's given, maybe on a good day, but otherwise I'm, I'm out of here, pal. But you've, uh, you've, you've embraced that and run towards it. I'm just a sadist. I just want to, I just want to, I want to feel something, Chris. I just want someone to smack me over the head with something. I just need it. Otherwise I'm, <laughs> Like, what am I doing here? Why are we here? Like, what is this life? Like, can we just like 
shake it up a little bit. <laughs> so talk me through, talk me through, Aubrey, the the day that you give the best performance that anyone has ever given ever. Um, is that is that a daunting day for you? Is that a day where you wake up going, oh oh Lord? Oh God, that was a hard day because actually. Because of, I believe it was because of the weather, we had to move that day up earlier in the schedule. So when you shoot a movie, small movie, sometimes, you know, even big movies, whatever, sometimes you think, you you look at the schedule and you go, okay, oof, that day is going to be a hard day for me. And you, you have it, it's this mental kind of thing that hangs over you. Like, if I can just get through that day, the rest of the shoot will be smooth sailing. But for some reason, that day infamous day was pulled up on the schedule and was presented to me the night the day before going and uh, we're going to be shooting scene you know 47 tomorrow actually we had to change it because of the because of the rain and i'm going like i'm sorry what was that tomorrow tomorrow um so i didn't have time to think you know it was like i was miserable i showed i remember just the worst car ride to set of my life just dying inside having a total amount breakdown, just mentally, mentally just fucked and was just like, I am, here we go. There's no turning back. And movies, you know, small movies are tough because you don't get a lot of chances and you know that going into it, you don't have all day. You can't do a million takes. Um, you really have to just get it done. And so at a certain point, you just, you go, you just surrender. Like you just got, like you have to be present. Like there, you can't, you can't prepare for something like that. It just happens or it doesn't, I guess. But in a way, that's that's that plays nicely into where your character is at that point. You know, if you're sharing roughly the same sense of feeling. Oh, absolutely. I think that the environment of shooting that movie, the circumstances under which we shot the film, the location, the people involved, like everything kind of melded into a perfect scenario for me to do my thing because I was immersed fully in the, in the reality of the movie. There were times, it was the one of the only movies I think I've ever done where I I had moments of true, just, it sounds so like actory and pretentious, but like I'd had moments of like transcendence where I was like, I don't know what reality I'm in. um, And I'm going to go with it. And wow. I was just out of my mind. Is that uh, why did you get into business in the first place? Is that why you, did you want those moments of transcendence? Did you even know they could be attained when you started acting? Um, I don't know. I think I've always, I think I've always wanted that. It's like this thing that you're just chasing. I mean, maybe not everybody, not every actor, but like for me, it is. It's like it's just this like moment of just just truth. It's like if you can just get to the truth of like something that is in the human condition that some replicates something that it feels that is real. There's just something so t- like, I don't know, like just, just fulfilling about it for me. Like, I think mo- independent films especially are just about about exploring the human condition, human behavior, human psychology, human relationships and like, I don't know what it is about me, but it's like, I'm more, I'm interested in, in understanding all of that stuff. And I think acting is a way for me to like express myself mm. um, in a way. It's been fascinating watching how things have unfolded for you and the choices that you've made post Parks and Rec, for example. So whenever that show finished, did you have an idea of where you wanted to go, how you wanted to bounce around to things, movies like this, TV shows like Legion, 
showing different, you get, almost get away in a way from playing the same character for seven years and having people identify with, with April. Yes, I definitely, I definitely had a desire to leave April and go on to other things. You know, I never expected to be on a television show in the first place. So that the fact that it went on for seven <laughs> seasons and became like one of the most important things in my life, like I had wasn't, that wasn't part of the plan. So like, but I'm so grateful for it. And I'm, I wouldn't take any of it back in a, for in a second, but like, I think when I was done with the show, I was, I was done with the character. I wanted to be challenged and I felt like it was challenging enough to show up to Parks and Rec and try to keep it interesting for myself because I could do it in my sleep, you know? Um, and so I was craving, yeah, something new and, and, and I'm sure because of the response to the character and because of how heavily associated I am, was and am with that character, there was always, I always had kind of a chip on my shoulder. Where I was like, you know, I can, I'm more than, you know, just roll in my eyes, you know, I can do more than that. Um, but you know, that's like all ego. And I feel like I've gotten past that more, but like, I do think that those er choices early on after parks were fueled by wanting to prove something, you know, but, but really it's just about keeping it interesting for myself and mm. doing things that are different because yeah. who wants to do the same thing over and over again? Well, absolutely. I mean, look at, you know, Black Bear and then going into a Guy Ritchie, Jason Statham film. I mean, you know, not, not directly, obviously, but, you know, the, the, that's an interesting contrast right there. I mean, can you imagine just Black Bear and then me and Statham kicking butt, you know, and me with a gun? Who, who could imagine such a thing? <laughs> <laughs> but just to, just to clarify, it's not a sequel to Black Bear. Honestly, I don't know what it is. I don't know what happens. Guy Ritchie, he just makes it up as he goes along. I don't think he's ever seen Black Bear, though. I don't think he's ever seen anything I've been in. <laughs> he hasn't seen Parks and Rec. Uh, no, definitely not. I think he just knows me for my talk show appearances. <laughs> and the Independent Spirit Awards as well, obviously. Just my YouTube compilations that people make that are creepy. And on that note, I'm going to let you go. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, Chris. How have I compared to Adam Sandler? You can tell me. I'm, I'm, I'm a professional. Oh my God, so much, so much better. He's got nothing on you. I didn't ask a single thing about what you ate. No, because you're a class act. Okay, so that was Aubrey Plaza. We will be talking about Black Bear later on in the show, but now it is time to delve deep into this week's movie news. What has been happening in the world, folks? Where do you want to start? Let's start with Scroll Fucked. It's not going to be the, called that. That's, that's what it's going to be called. That's what it's going to be called. The uh, One of the upcoming Marvel TV series, which has added two people to its cast. Well, one person and a half, let's say. It has added Amelia Clark, and it's wow. looking what to add Olivia Coleman as well. Half? Well, because Olivia Coleman isn't 100% confirmed, so I'm counting her as a half. Oh, so wow. she's a half. Amelia Clark is a half because she's going to be second. in it. So Amelia Clark <laughs> yeah. and Olivia Coleman, presumably both playing Scrolls or not. So Secret Invasion, which is the show that Jimbo has actually not named, has added two people to its cast. Because I'm saying two people, I'm rounding up two okay, people and <laughs> potentially a whole bunch of scrolls. Is that what you're yes. saying? Yeah. You know, I'm really excited about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know you're dying to know. Please. Um, let me translate into a, a Brit for you. Uh, Vera Star Kingsley Benadir. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. Isn't he King Arthur, Legend of the Sword star, Kingsley Benadire? Also, OA star, Kingsley Benadire. Oh, yes, oh, sure. yes, yes, yes. One Night in Miami, Kingsley Benadire. Yeah. I love him. I'm, I'm so 
thrilled that he is going to be in this. So love yeah, it. He's this awesome. Love him. This really is cool. shaping up to be one of the best casts in the MCU, isn't it? I mean, this, this show is, this is wild level of casting. Mm -hmm. Except none of these people are actually going to be in it. They're just going to be scrolls pretending to be these people. So it's not really. That would be amazing. You mean like when Julia Roberts played Julia Roberts? In yes, exactly. <laughs> Which one was that? 12 or 13? It was 12. The, the best of the Ocean's movies, Ocean's oh, 12. Ooh. Yeah, and Bruce Willis playing a killer Bruce Willis. Oh my you know? God. Yeah. But this is, what a cast, what a cast. Yeah. What a Samuel cast. L. Jackson, Ben K. Mendelsohn, Olivia Coleman. Oscar winner, Olivia Coleman, Amelia Clark, Kingsley Benadire. Wow. Yeah. What is going on? It's very interesting because I've been, uh, you know, I've been interested to see what the Thrones actors do now, right? Mm. Because they came off the biggest thing in the whole world. Kit Harrington already is hooked in with Marvel. But, you know, what what are they going to do? Who is going to stay a star, um, mm. especially with the end of with Thrones ending the way that it did and people not being very excited to rewatch it. It's just been really interesting. So yeah. can I, can I ask you a question? Because obviously you are a, a, a lauded fan and indeed commentator on Game of Thrones. Like Game of Thrones is a weird one and it? it was the biggest show ever. Right. And now it has completely vanished from popular culture because mm -hmm. of that final season. And it yeah. feels like someone has erased it from history. Like it's been retconned out of existence and it's so fucking bizarre. It's wild. It's um, the, I mean, the closest analog is Lost, I think, mm. where people felt similarly burned out on the finale of Lost. And, uh, you know, a lot of people saying, oh, I wasted all these years watching it. But Lost, I think, was never, at its biggest, it might have been bigger than Thrones because we were all watching TV differently then. Yeah. But it, it declined in viewership uh, in, in its final three seasons. And so it mm. wasn't, it wasn't the same as Thrones. It just ramped up and up and up and up to a frenzy. And then, yeah, and then it's just sort of, vanished from mm. conversation it just left such a bad taste in people's minds yeah but I see the things it seems harsh like, I, like the bells is an episode I have a violent hatred for for mm -hmm. so many reasons but I don't think that final season is terrible I don't think it's great I think it's probably better than the seventh season but I it's just it's it's a different pace isn't it it feels like it was all character 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 and then those last two are just plot 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 and it just goes along at a hundred thousand miles an hour and it feels like they you know it's like when you're reading the end of a book when you're a kid and you skip chapters to get to the end you like, I just want to get to the last page and it feels a little bit like there was a touch of that to it do you know what I mean yeah and they're like yada 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 brands the king is that how it exactly. felt? Yeah. The butler <laughs> yeah. did it. Brands the king. Yeah. The end. And we're done. Yeah. And we're done. And <laughs> we can now see. release these actors from their very expensive yeah. contracts. No, there's a lot that I love in that final season. A Night of the Seven Kingdoms, I think, is one of the best yes. episodes they ever did. Uh, Chris, is this a, a Game of Thrones podcast now? We can make, I it can is. make anything it a Game is. of Thrones podcast yes. if you Yeah, of course. You, Absolutely. If you, if you, you could just take it from here, Joe. I'll just lean, uh, listen, you know, sit back and listen to you guys go. You've seen an episode, Chris. I've, seen, I've seen three episodes of Game of Thrones. Three whole Episodes. Wow. It's crazy. Do you know which three? Yes. I've seen the one in the castle with yeah. the, the, the white zombies. Yeah. That's a good uh, one. Yeah, that was a good one. I've seen the end of season seven because we did a spoiler special on it. We did, yeah. And I think I saw the one before that, so I had a little bit of context going in. So it's okay. I'm in the middle of my third rewatch of the show. I've just finished what? season four. I'd be the best season <laughs> of the show. That Definitely. is the best yeah. season. That is the best yeah. season. And I'm going yeah. into five, which is a little disappointing, but. Yeah. But look, I mean, I said this at the time and I'm just going to repeat myself with Joe here so to see if she agrees or not. But the whole, the whole 
thing about George R. R. Martin was complicating things. That was his whole thing yeah. was like you ride off into the sunset but it's you know and uh, waving your banner and everybody follows you except they don't or you know you have your great mm. battle plan and you're going to win the day except you don't because there's this thing you haven't foreseen and it turns up at the last minute and and all you know you're going on your journey to avenge your whatever except you get sidelined by these dudes who turn up and uh, you know you get knocked off in a different direction that's what happened the whole way through the season up to those last two seasons because they were yeah. like shit we can't have everybody getting distracted and knocked aside and you know their plans falling to bits because we actually need to come to some kind of conclusion mm. and that and that's what leads the show to suddenly feel completely different in its pacing completely different in its storytelling because all of the complications all of the new characters all of the detours vanished and it's weird but six, so six is kind of where it begins to deviate from Martin's work, isn't it? But six is actually decent. Like that almost strikes a balance between character and world and velocity. Like it's not, it's, it feels, you know, you get a big adrenaline rush from six. You're like, wow, now we're written, now we're sucking diesel, to quote Ted Hastings. Hang on, is this a line of duty spoiler special it's now? It's well. a line of duty spoiler special. We're going to move into that now. Mother uh, of God. God, it's almost like we've become the pilot TV podcast. Oh, no, we, have, <laughs> no, we were doing so no. well. We were doing so well. I mean, technically, Secret Invasion, et cetera, that's, that's pilot uh, territory, isn't it? Not? It is. This is true, it is. but, uh, but we, we've, like a dog, we have marked our territory vis a vis the MCU. <laughs> it's hands-off right. pilot. Yeah. That's right. I've pissed all over Marvel. Um, <laughs> oh, no. That's not this, what we did. Did you see this week that um, uh, there was an unfortunate phrasing in the Variety report about uh, Amelia Clark joining, joining Secret Invasion? It said... Um, the show is being produced by Kevin Feige's unit. And I thought, wow, <laughs> that is an impressive really? talent. I mean, I've, I've, I've met the man. No wonder he looks so pleased. <laughs> it's been through a lot. Uh, it's been on every set. <laughs> anyway. So moving back to movies, but only slightly. Joe, tell me how you feel about Downton Abbey. Oh, oh no, why? God, oh, no. no, no, because this is film news. This is film news. Downton Abbey 2 mm -hmm. is shooting right now with a plan to come out before the end of the year. And I, much like Lord Grantham, are fucking here for it. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> much like Lord, famously, Lord yeah, Grantham. Famously. <laughs> That's his catchphrase, <laughs> if anything. I'm He's fucking like, here for it. I'm here for it. Uh, no, uh, I watched the first several seasons. And it was uh, probably right around the death of the fifth main character that I was sort of like, oh, <laughs> enough now, enough. <laughs> you have not missed a thing. Hang on a second. Oh, it's glorious. Surely, I love it. Oh Surely my as God. a Game of Thrones fan, you cannot <laughs> quibble with this show because it kills off its main characters. It's different. Here's my real problem with Downton, is that it just isn't Gosford Park. That's my main <laughs> issue with Downton. It's kind of Gosford Park. It's not, it wants though. to be Gosford Park, yeah. but it isn't Gosford Park. And so, um, yeah, I, I I liked the first few seasons and then it sort of felt like it got a little lost in the soap. And then I mm -hmm. haven't seen the first film, so I don't. Um, but maybe I'll see the second film. Should There's I? an assassination plot in the first film. You've missed an I'm, awful lot. It was lot. dreadful. I mean, Edith we... becomes the Marchioness of Hexham. <laughs> 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 Surely not. What is not. wrong with you? <laughs> 
this new one does have everybody back who has survived, obviously. Plus, Dominic West, Hugh Dancy, Laura Haddock, and Natalie Bay. I know. They kind of had me at Hugh Dancy, I have to say. Yeah, and they're good. <laughs> Dominic West and Hugh Dancy in particular are those people. No disrespect to the other two. You know, Dominic West could give it some stank. It was so funny because I was, I, was, I was reading that announcement and I was like, wasn't Dominic West already on Downton Abbey? But it I does think I feel like he of... should have been, right? <laughs> Ian Glenn does, was yeah. on yeah. I had the season, same. I had the same right? reaction about Hugh Dancy. I'm like, surely he's in it already. Doesn't Dominic <laughs> yeah. West play the title character? I know, I'm, I'm Downton Abbey. He plays the Abbey. Yes, that's absolutely true. Hmm. Yeah, they had me at Hugh Dancy. They almost got me back with Matthew Good. I'll say when they added Matthew Good mm. to the cast, I almost came back. because He hasn't done anything. So, so there yeah. you go. He raced a lot of cars. <laughs> I mean, an average number, I would say. Wait a minute. Are you talking about the Fast and Furious films? You can, are you good in Fast and Furious 9 confused with Downton Abbey? It is a bit. There, there is a Fast and Furious-esque plotline in Downton Abbey, which involves Matthew Good and his race cars. And but, it is uh, all about family. So. It is all about family. There are no flying cars. And at no point does he, does a, no, he doesn't do a flying headbutt across a dual carriageway. But other than that, yet. it's exactly that like Fast Five. That one car kind of flies into that tree. You know, oh, so. oh, too soon. So too we, soon, uh, cousin Matthew. So can we can we then call it Two Downton Two Abbey then? Hey. The yes. Sequel? yes, I think that's my that's my set. They live their lives fifteen courses at a time. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's been it's been seconds and seconds since we talked about Marvel and there was a Shang Chi trailer this week, so we should probably just Shang Chi Shang Chi. Sorry, I apologize. I think it's Shang Chi, is it not? I think it is. Yes. Yeah. It is. Yeah. So I've been told. So I've been yeah. told. How do you pronounce the Oscar-nominated film starring Stephen Yeun? See, I thought it was Minari, but, so but then I. Helen last week said Min, Minari. Yeah, it's, it's Minari. Minari. Yeah, Minari. Mm-hmm. And Shang-Chi. And the legend of the Ten Rings, the legend of retconning Iron Man 3, which <laughs> itself was, of course, a retcon. Um, yeah, what do you think of this? This is the first non-Black Widow Marvel movie trailer we've seen in a long long time mm. so I, mm. I alone i was i was crying i was just <laughs> sodden mess um we haven't seen anything from eternals yet but uh yeah what did we think of this looks good yeah tony lung in a, a, a you know american film this yeah. is exciting uh, as i a, love as a, him oh he's he's just I'm incredible so excited i mean th- it is wild because um the Mandarin was supposed to be the villain of the first Iron, the very first Iron Man movie. The Mandarin was supposed to be the villain. So the yeah. fact that, you know, 13 years, right? Thereabouts, I did my math right. Uh, mm-hmm. We've been waiting and here he is, uh, played by a, a superstar of mm-hmm. film. I'm so excited for that. Um, I, I was personally very excited to see the Muni, which is the San Francisco transportation bus um, <laughs> on the screen. <laughs> I get really excited when San Francisco is in a is in a big movie like that. Uh, and, you know, we'll be in more like Venom, the new Matrix. They're filming a lot of stuff over here. Mm. So as soon as I saw the yellow bars on the bus, I was like, oh, it's the Muni. Anyway, sorry. You were excited. And uh, I, did you see that someone had spotted that? So the, the, the trailer, in case you don't know, it is about Shang-Chi, who's played by Simo Liu. And uh, he is... Apparently, as far as we can tell, the son of the criminal mastermind who in the MCU is the actual Mandarin, not the knockoff Mandarin that we saw in Iron Man 3 or or Trevor Slattery, but the actual Mandarin. So if you remember... Hell to the King. Hell to the King. The Drew Pierce short that he wrote and directed yeah. after Iron Man 3, in which mm-hmm. the Ten Rings uh, targeted Trevor Slattery because they were not happy with how he had <laughs> imp- imp- impugned the good name or or 
lack or thereof, I guess, of the Mandarin. <laughs> so they were already even then kind of backtracking a little bit on what I still think is perhaps the best twist in the MCU, certainly the funniest. Mm-hmm. Um, on this one, they're absolutely just embracing this being the first Asian American lead in a Marvel movie with with Simo Liu and they've got Aquafina and it's directed by Destin Daniel Cretton and it's very much leaning into as far as I could see it felt like it was very much leaning into its Asian heritage with but also mixing it up with that sort of modern MCU vibe so they have that fight on what's it called Joe again the the, the, the transport the Muni the like Muni. municipal yeah Muni, Muni. okay the mm-hmm. Muni in San Francisco so it's there's the a tube right the tube, the tube. am I saying yeah. it correctly the, the tube. tube the tube and the Muni <laughs> I must say it did look a lot like the Metropolitan Line it did <laughs> It's actually. And uh, so there's a fight scene on the Muni uh, in the trailer. <laughs> and someone has spotted, I think on TikTok, someone had spotted that in the background, you can see someone who looks exactly like Sack Cherry. And Sack Cherry plays the do a flip guy from Spider-Man Homecoming. Hey, Spider-Man, do a flip. You know, that guy. So he might be back in this doing a little bit of comedic business with, with Shang-Chi. That'd be fun. A friend of mine said they really want to see the one, the Marvel one shot of that guy's journey moving from New York <laughs> to San Francisco. <laughs> and is is he is he kind of the lodestone? Is he like is he does he does he attract superheroes? Is that what, what is happens? he the new is he the new Stanley? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm I'm super excited, and I think you know I I think it's a good. I don't think it takes away from Iron Man three to have the Mandarin exist because I I enjoy Hail to the King and I thought that was clever mm. and it kind of you know keeps the fans happy and also like if you were Tony Leung and you know Ben Kingsley was going around pretending to be you with a silly beard you would be a bit like dude that is not okay I am the handsomest man in the world and you with all respect are not and what the hell you know cab it down so I you know <laughs> I, I can understand why he would be a little put out by that only one of us was in hard boiled. Only one of us was the toast of Croydon. <laughs> it's a Mandarin off. It's a Mandarin off. But but it's interesting because Joe, obviously, as you, you'll know that you know there 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 were worries at Marvel and, and fears about how to depict the Mandarin way right. back in the day, and right. and how do they tackle a character like this that has had racist overtones in the past you could you could certainly say with with the mandarin and they were a little bit worried with that about that and it likewise as well with the ancient one in, in doctor yeah. strange right so i think i think that's very representative of an earlier phase of marvel where you know they were a couple things were happening number one that they were beholden to sort of this creative committee out of new york that had some i would say regressive ideas about representation um now that feige is in charge of everything um and you can see those floodgates open like as soon as feige becomes in charge black panther comes into play captain marvel comes into play and he starts making these films that um can feel more confident in the way that they're representative because they have um, non-white talent working on the films as well, right? And so you've got people who can more authentically speak to the culture so they don't have to be afraid. The Ancient One was such an interesting sidestep because they just really did not want to get in trouble. And you've got, um, you know, a, a white writer and a white director and all this sort of stuff on that film. And so they just were like, uh, Tilda Swinton, as, as many of us have done, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> and so now they're like, now they feel more confident in their ability to actually engage with these non-white, even if they're <laughs> mythical non-white cultures. So yeah. 
which yeah. is great. Um, I was really excited. I don't know if you agree with me, but I felt like the purple cities uh, scapes that we see in this trailer is Madripoor, yeah. um, which mm-hmm. is something that people, a lot of people had guessed that Madripoor, which we was first introduced in Falcon and Witcher Soldier, would be something that we would see a lot of in this film as well. And uh, <laughs> I interviewed I interviewed um, Carrie, Sco- Carrie Scoglin, the director of Falcon Winter Soldier, and I was sort of grilling her on the introduction of Madripoor. I was like, when you come up with something like that, which may or may not be used in a future movie, you don't have to tell me, um, you know, how, how much of a discussion is there around, you know, how much does the director of Shang-Chi get to say what this looks like? She claimed, and whether or not she was lying to me, I don't know. That's her job. Uh, <laughs> that it was all her. That like that it was her and her team, and they got to design it completely, and they just needed to make sure it looked great. But I have I have questions about that, about shared, <laughs> yeah. cus- shared custody of things like that. It, mm. it may have many different districts mm. yeah. looking yeah. different. Sometimes you think in a situation like that, is is it a case of the director coming up with something or is it a case of the director being told that something has been come up with for them and they have to right. roll with the punches a little right. bit? Right. Hey, Madripoor is in your show now. Oh, is it? Thanks. <laughs> Great. Okay. I'll, I'll make it oh, work. All right then. <laughs> I guess it's Madripoor. Uh, but what do you think of the, the trailer for this uh, overall? Exciting? Mm. I thought it looks great. I was really mm. excited. I'm I'm excited. Aquafina is here for some comedic oh, relief. I don't watch her do she does. Yep. Yeah, and um, Similu. I don't mean to well actually you, Chris, mm-hmm. but I think you called him Asian American, and I believe he's Canadian. Just to, uh, just will... to stop any emails from coming in. <laughs> um, I, I, I get corrected on that so much. I I I I'm honestly. I, I once called Shit's Creek an American sitcom and Twitter did not. <gasps> oh, no. Did not let that one lie. A lot of Americans didn't know that it was Canadian. They had no idea, uh, despite it's starring so many Canadian sweethearts. Anyway, yeah, I, I think it looks incredible. What do you guys think? Yeah. Mm. It's, it's, it feels like a palate cleanser. Like it feels like a change of gear and a change of pace. And between this and the Eternals, like you've got a lot of characters who people just aren't familiar with and won't have preconceptions about. So it does feel like this phase kind of moves into uncharted territories. Like it feels, and rightly so, that Endgame was a complete full stop, a cleaning of the slate, and now they're going in a new direction. But yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. I don't know quite what to expect from this. Mm. And before we saw this trailer, I had no fucking earthly idea what, on earth it was going to be so um but yeah it's looking very positive so mm. far i can't wait to see the eternals trailer can't be long before we see one of those can't be too long surely not. give me one give me one put it in my face now maybe they want to wait until they can say oscar winning director yes. chloe zhao i was gonna say it was gonna be this is the next marvel movie now it's this is the next chloe zhao movie like yeah. that's the yeah. main thing if they don't launch the trailer at 3 a.m They've missed a trick. Yes. That's all I'm saying. They might do. You never know. They may well do. In fact, as she wins Best Picture, she may even turn to the camera and go, and now, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> the first trailer for Eternals. Chloe Zhao definitely seems like the kind of person who would be into that kind of yeah. branding, you know, um, yeah. in her in her overalls and her plaid shirt at the back. <laughs> it's her style, yeah. Maybe they're going to you know, change the end of Nomadland when it hits Disney Plus next week so Nick Fury turns up at the end. Who knows? <laughs> Francis McDormand will return <laughs> in Shang-Chi. <laughs> uh, we also have some indirect MCU news this week. Very exciting news that uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse 2 has a new trio of directors. So none of the directors from the first movie are returning for this one. Uh, I assume the trio that they have appointed this week have been working on the movie for some time and they haven't just been, <laughs> like, they haven't just started work this week. Uh, so it's uh, Joaquim Dos Santos, Kemp Powers, who of course co-directed Soul and wrote One Night in Miami, 
and Justin K. Thompson. And we have Phil Lord and Chris Miller who are going to be is still on writing and producing. one director for each dimension? Is that how this works? <laughs> Perhaps. Well, um, Dos Santos was, uh, and I know that our, our sometime colleague, uh, Amon Warman, would want me to point out that he directed some of the best stuff in the Justice League uh, TV show and there's some of the Batman animated series. Okay. I'm a big fan of him. Yeah, he's he's very good. And then uh, Justin K. Thompson was production designer on the first Spider-Verse. So is responsible for at least some of that extraordinary way that it looked. And that's got to be a good thing as well. Mm-hmm. Indeed. And uh, Ken Powers, of course, we know we what know he from can Soul. do. In fact, mm-hmm. when he was on the podcast a few weeks ago, he was like, oh, I've got something good cooking. I was like, what is it, Kemp? He wouldn't tell me because I'm a great journalist, folks. <laughs> <laughs> I've tried the, oh, go on, <laughs> go, go on, school of journalism, please, I'll be your best friend. You but will, I'm, you will, you yeah. will, you will, go on, go on, And, and go this on. is the worst thing about no longer being in the same room as these people, you can't tickle them anymore, because that's usually <laughs> what Tickling I would usually to. work? Okay. Yeah, you know, Ruffalo is incredibly ticklish. What about, have you ever tried to combine the agawan with the tickle, like at the same time, or is that just too uh, powerful? Go on, go on. <laughs> Who loves a tickle? Who loves a little tickle? Hey, get off me. I gotta oh tell God. you anything you want to know. <laughs> what is this happening? Oh, I don't geez. know. At I the end of the movie, we do catch the fox. Joe, I feel unnecessary again to once more apologize for the experience <laughs> that you're having to suffer on this podcast. You're used to working with professionals, I'm sure. No, I... I you'll you'll I'm, find none of them here. I'm thrilled, and right. I hope this Ruffalo impression stays, stays for this a little be, This could be a new thing. I've been looking for a new bit for a while. This could be it. This could be it. Marky Ruff taking me all the way to the Oscars. Uh, my God, what a segue, because the Oscars are happening this week, and uh, we don't have time to go through it in huge detail, but I just want to get a quick, quick roundup of predictions from you guys. Uh, so what do you think is going to happen, and who do you think it's going to happen to? I feel like the winners are going to be a little bit less uh, is surprising, maybe, or, or you know, innovative, perhaps, than the nominees were. Mm-hmm. I feel like we're going to see, you know, a slightly more not conservative selection of winners, but not not conservative selection of winners either. Like, I think a lot of them have now been kind of predicted a little bit, and I do think Nomadland is going to do extremely well, and I am mm. super here for that. I'm going to throw each category at you, and I want you to tell me who you think is going to win in each category. Okay, All just right. give, give me a name, just throw a name out, a sentence if you have it. Best original screenplay, Judas and the Black Messiah, Minari. Mi- Minari? How do you say it? Minari. 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 I got it right. Yeah, just second guess myself. Promising Young Woman? Am I getting yes. that right? Sound More of Metal and The Trial of Chicago 7. Jimbo. Mm, I want to say Promising Young Woman for this, to be honest with you. I think that screenplay is incredible. <gasps> I'm so- telling Sorkin. I know, I know, I know. Like, I'd love to, I'd love to say, and look, Aaron Sorkin will always be first in my heart, and I would love to say it's Trial of the Chicago 7, and I will, of course, do a happy, possibly naked dance if that happens, but I think Emerald Fennell is going to take this particular one. Promises, promises. Uh, (laughs) That's one for the only fans again. I agree with James. I do too. All right. Uh, I'm not going to. I'm not going to venture any opinions in this whatsoever. So therefore, I can say I was right. Whatever happens, uh, best adapted screenplay. Borat. Subsequent movie film. No success. Is not going to win. The Father. Nomadland. One Night in Miami. And The White Tiger. Nomadland. Nomadland. Maybe? You think? I guess. I guess one to the Father. Mm. Could the, be the Father. Father. Maybe. Yeah. Mm. 
Did you know, and, and I only figured this out this year, but maybe you already know this, all sequels are nominated in Adapted because technically they're like an adaptation of the previous film. I did not know that. So that's why Borat's subsequent movie film is in See, Adapted. I wondered why that was Adapted. <laughs> I wondered, is it because it's adapted from a TV character? I can work it out. No. I think the first sequel. one was adapted as well in that case because he was mm-hmm. a TV character, right? It was. Possibly, so, but like Toy but Story yeah. 2, I yeah. think, or something like that. Would be adapted. Adapted, yeah. That's, that's, that's... A, the, the the sort of pedant in me just finds that deeply upsetting on a purely semantic <laughs> level. But uh, sure, that's a good there fact. Go. All right. Okay, we've got real quick through the categories. Yeah, yeah. Best animated right, cool. feature film, Onward, Over the Moon, Sean the Sheep Movie, Farmageddon, Soul and Wolf Walkers. Okay, Onward and Over the Moon shouldn't be in there. Um, <laughs> Sean the Sheep is bloody brilliant and I would love it if it won, but it won't. Uh, Soul is going to win, but it should be Wolf, Wolf Walkers. Yeah, I'm with Helen. I'm with Helen. And, right. and definitely not just currying favor with people on this podcast by going for Wolf Walkers. <laughs> no, I love Wolf Walkers. Go for the Irish one. Go for the mm-hmm. Irish uh, one. Ah, uh, Jesus. We look at that. Wolf Walkers has won an Oscar. <laughs> Best actress in a supporting role Maria Bakalova, Glenn Close, uh, Olivia yeah. Coleman, Amanda Seyfried, Yu Jung Yoon from Minari. I think it's probably going to be Amanda Seyfried. I think Yu Jung Yoon. Yes. As well. Interesting. Yeah. Maybe this is why Olivia Coleman hasn't been announced yet officially for a secret invasion because if she wins a second Oscar, then that quote is going up. <laughs> Two time Oscar winner. <laughs> yes. Um yeah. Uh Make Fever I think has broken, but Helen you may, might be right. May you might be, be right. Uh, but she's the one person that everyone seems to like. That's the only thing. So I, I think Yuzhen Yun, because she's won a couple of awards and given mm. these like really adorable speeches. Amazing speeches. Mm. Like yeah. that people oh good speech can really float you through Os- Oscar season. So yeah. anyway. And calling the Brits snobbish. I mean, you're right, I'm gonna change my answer. I think she's gonna win. Um <laughs> but yeah, she she called the bits Brit snobs at the BAFTAs and I cannot possibly get behind that more. <laughs> Sorry, less. Less. I disagree. In the of balance and fairness, we also have to say that there are some Brits who aren't snobbish. Uh, James, best actor in a supporting role. <laughs> Sasha Baron Cohen, Daniel Kaluuya, Leslie Odom Jr., Paul Racy, and Lakeith Stanfield. If I were a betting man, which I am not, I might say Daniel Kaluuya. He's won pretty much everything to date, so yeah. that feels yeah. like the most likely option. Yeah, that feels to me like the, the, this year's Oscar race is fairly open in almost every mm. single category, but that feels like, you know, there's always one year where it's like, oh, it's the Christoph Waltz Award for being Christoph Waltz mm-hmm. or the Meryl Streep Award, and they've yeah. won before they even turn up and no one right. else turns up. Yeah. That feels like that one to me. Uh, best, oh, was that a dive venture in an opinion? Ah, oh, that was dangerously close to an opinion. I think <laughs> other people could also win in that category. Uh, best Actress in a Leading Role, Fiola Davis, Andra Day, Vanessa Kirby, Frances McDormand, and Kerry Mulligan. The Francis McDormand Award for being Francis McDormand. Mm, goes to yeah. Francis McDormand. Do you think? Do you think? I, I do. I do. But it's very hard to judge this one because every award show has had a very different lineup of nominees. So these five have not really competed. The the presumption over here in the US is that Viola Davis is going to win. But really? yeah, the, the her momentum has been building and I, I couldn't tell you exactly when it sort of shifted in her favor. But um, I'm Team Carrie Mulligan. Mm. I'm, she's great. I'm pulling for her. So good in that film. She's so good. Yeah, I don't. So I didn't good. love that film overall. I think it's a great script, and I think she's great in it. And then I think the film itself mm. is like a little bumpy, but she's so mm. good. And the film doesn't work at all. I don't think if she is not like mm-hmm. really holding the center of it. So yeah, I, I yeah. think all five ladies in this category would be equally worthy winners. Wow. Thank you, Chris. Uh, okay, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, think you don't get splinters in your ass there. <laughs>
Interesting that uh, people are calling it Viola Davis's momentum and not momentum. Um, also, oh, if she does win, I would love to see her not make a speech, but just open a bottle of Coke and drink it in one gulp on stage <laughs> and then just drop it like a mic drop and walk off with the Oscar. That'd be that'd be <laughs> tremendous. Best actor in a leading role, Riz Ahmed, Chadwick Boseman, Anthony Hopkins, Gary Oldman and Stephen Young. Mm. Chadwick. Mm. Chadwick. If Riz won, I would not be unhappy. <gasps> I, I wouldn't be, be thrilled. Unhappy. I love mm. Rizal Med and Sound of Metal. And Stephen yeah. Young is also fantastic. Mm-hmm. Basically, four out of five of these are great performances. <laughs> yeah, not you, Gary. <laughs> I'll say it. You can edit it out. That's fine. No, no, no. Um, we're, we're, all, we're all a bit baffled by that one, frankly. But but yeah, I think this is this has been the most cemented narrative that I've seen is that Chadwick mm. Boseman is going to win yeah. here. Interesting. Uh, best director, Thomas Finterberg for another round. David Fincher for Mank. Lee Isaac Chung for Mina Ree. Chloe Shao for Nomadland. And Emerald Fennell for A Promising Young Woman. Overalls all round. <laughs> yeah, plaid shirts all the way. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think that's pretty much there. Uh, best picture, The Father, Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, Mina Ree, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and James's beloved The Trial of the Chicago 7. Yes! Except, no, because it's not going to win. <laughs> do you think it might do it because of the way the Oscars no. work, which is, they, you know, they just sit, tend to lose their minds? Just to be contrary twat. I mean, yeah. possibly. No, it's Nomadland, isn't Nomadland, it? Yeah. Nomadland. Nomadland. You think? Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Interesting. Yes. Interesting. All right. Well, well, one or both or all three of you or none of you might be right. So let's find out. <laughs> Uh, on Sunday nights. I, I'm really excited about the, the ceremony. Not so excited that I'm going to stay up and watch it, I have to say, but <laughs> I'm excited about how Steven Soderbergh, who's producing it or co-producing it this year, is going to present the Oscars. Have you seen this? Have you, have you heard about his plans for this? So he's going to try and shoot it like a movie. Yeah. So it's going to be at Union Station. They're going to have cameras studded all around the place. Actors, are gonna, the actors who are there might even be required to speak lines at certain point and actually have dialogue scenes. And then when people win, they're going to be encouraged to tell a story, a lovely personal story, something about themselves. Maybe their their dog that, that died when they were four and inspired them to become an actor. It's kind. It's advice they give them every year, though. <laughs> like they, they kind of say that every year, and every year they think they're agent anyway. So you know, we'll see. Yeah, yeah it's always it going to happen. Could be a train wreck. I mean, possibly because this Union Station might station. have a train just come through the wall <laughs> at some point. Who knows? Anyway, it's on Sunday, and we'll talk about it on next week's show. Finally, we're going to talk about the very, very sad news that broke last week that the great Helen McCrory passed away. Uh, very unexpectedly, at the age of fifty-two, after a battle with cancer. Very, very sad news, folks. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very, very it really sad. was. She was one of those people who was brilliant in everything, like a, a mm. real 27% or everything she did, she made at least 27% better. And uh, that proportion increased with the size of her role. Um, so she was, uh, I was reading, you know, many, many articles about her, but the, the one that she was the original choice for Bellatrix. And I kind of really wish I'd seen that because she's really good as Narcissa and she, you know, she has a little bit more sense than the other members of her family in that role in the Harry Potter films. But she would have been amazing as Bellatrix. And I kind of wish, I kind of wish I'd seen it. But she was incredible Mm. on stage. She was incredible on TV. Mm. She was um, pretty flawless. Did you ever see her on stage? I saw Medea, I think. I saw Medea as well. Oh, really? Yeah. Back, back, Back in the day. Yeah. Great. Really good. Damon Lewis's uh, testimonial we've put out for her was absolutely oh, heartbreaking. heartbreaking. Oh my God. Devastating. Yeah. Jason yeah. Isaacs had a really beautiful tribute yes, to her did. as well. Yes, he did. Yeah. Yes, he did. Yeah. So yeah. good. 
You can tell a lot about people by the the testimonies that they inspire. Mm. I think that's that's mm. the thing is she you know she was enormously talented, but you know given the way that everyone was talking about her, it was similar to when Alan Rickman died. I feel like yeah. that's just yeah. the yeah. way that people talk about her and her presence on the set and how she was both a brilliant actress but didn't take herself too seriously. So she was fun to work with as well, and all of that. I mean, just a real loss. Yeah, 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 really. Absolutely. Uh, and just 52, as we said, indeed, the great Helen McCrory, who died last week. Next up, we're going to go into the reviews. But, uh, Joe, you are going to have to take your leave. You're not going to be able to tell us what you thought this week about Black Bear and Run and Antebellum, unless I, you want to I do it real dare quick. Not, I dare not let those opinions out. <laughs> it could, it could ruin careers. It could yeah. end everything and just bring the whole Hollywood edifice tumbling down. <laughs> True, true, true. Yeah, I have to. I have to scoop. Thank you guys so much for having me. I, I really loved oh, it. Thank being you for here. coming. This has been this has been mega fun, mega fun. And next time we'll make sure to press record. <laughs> All right, bye. 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 bye, bye. Oh, Joe's gone. Now we can talk about her. She's great, isn't she? <laughs> yeah, really good. Damn it! Shit. <laughs> behind people's backs. Really, it's working. We've got to work on this. It's yeah. fine. Anyway, uh, that was Joe Robinson, and I completely forgot to give her a chance to plug stuff. But if you want to listen to uh, to Joe, she is on the Still Watching podcast right now, where they dissect uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier every week. Um, I don't know why I'm recommending another podcast <laughs> in which people does dissect she do the Falcon theme and Winter tune Soldier. on a kazoo? That's all I'm she asking. She does not. They have like a proper theme tune, so yeah. it's you we know, have a proper, we theme, have a proper tune. theme tune, Helen. We have kazoos. We do it live. We have a live by professional uh, by musicians live <laughs> recorded <laughs> theme tune. Musicians, really? Yeah. We're going with musicians. <laughs> yes, Helen, okay. I'm all about my music. <laughs> Anywho, reviews, reviews, cool. reviews, reviews. So I spoke to Aubrey Plaza earlier on in the show, and she is in Black Bear. And Black Bear is out this week. It's on VOD. And James is going to tell us about it, isn't he? He's going to try. <laughs> Good luck with uh, this one, Jimbo. Indeed, indeed. So this is a film that is both written and directed by Lawrence Michael Levine. And it begins with Aubrey Plaza sitting on the dock of the bay uh, in yeah. what can only be described as a red swimsuit. Uh, and that is the only part of this film that I fully understood, but in, a, in the best possible way. So this is kind of a film of two parts. And it begins with Aubrey Plaza playing Alison, and she's uh, an actor slash director who's having writer's block who has gone to a sort of an airbnb type place run by gabe uh and blair played by christopher abbott and sarah gaden and uh and she goes there to get a little bit of inspiration and what ultimately happens is a slightly strange game of sexual politics and seduction and attraction as she sort of verbally and intellectually fences with the pair of them like um gabe sort of slightly caveman-esque views come to the fore you've got the fact that blair uh, you know you get the impression that they're not really all that well suited to each other so they're bickering in front of her it's super super awkward but then gabe is really flirting with her she's flirting with him blair feels really insecure but it's very very delicately done the interplay between these three people sort of the drama of it as a sort of this sort of ebb and flow of attraction and manipulation as they all say very things while probing you know details of feminism and politics and whatnot and then there's a bear and then there's a second part of the film in which gabe 
is directing a movie which seems to be kind of based on the first act of this in which Alison is now his wife and Blair is in fact the sort of interloper in that relationship and it's then a movie about movie making where there's chaos on set there's an AD with explosive diarrhea there are spilled coffees you know Alison appears to be having something of a breakdown and is drunk while she's doing her scenes so it feels like a completely separate movie that is at once genetically related to the first one but the sort of emotional thread runs through it and it's the same kind of dynamic it's the same kind of manipulation and a lot of it sort of seems to hinge on the idea of you know suffering or torture or manipulation for the sake of art but I will say this I think the script is absolutely razor sharp and just to make it even more meta it's actually based on real life events between Levine and his uh, filmmaker wife so it's all you know quite you know faints within faints within faints but um, all the performances are, are great in this I think um, I think Abbott and, and Gaiden are fantastic but this is this is very much Plaza's film she is outstanding in this as Alison she really is she's always watchable and apart from doing the best eye roll really in movies uh, she now shows that you know she shows very clearly in this that she can act her socks off as well as if we didn't know that but I really like this I was really surprised by it I was utterly wrong-footed by it because I was unprepared mm-hmm. for the slightly minor head fuck that it is it's this fascinating film and very very strange but really really good could have had more bears but other than that yeah it, it's a bit sc- yeah, it does skimp a little bit on the old black bears, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, like Paddington. A lot of bears. A lot of bears. Lot of well, bears. one bear, But not that much station. Not that much station. You know, it advertises Paddington, station. and then it doesn't give us a lot of true. Paddington station. There's some you know, station, so, though. We yeah. do see there's the a station. Bit of sta- yeah, but there's a yeah. little bit of bear. And there's a bit of bear in here. Yeah, and sometimes the bear is in the station. And sometimes people are bear. Not in Paddington. Not in Paddington, but in Black Bear. I feel no. like we're getting away we from... We may be getting away from point. Yeah. But, it, like, so this is... I mean, there's a lot of bellendry in this film. Like, I, like, some of the characters are, if not hateful, slightly problematic. But I think that's part of the texture of this. I think it's it's a really it's a really interesting film. It really surprised me. I thought it was great. I did not see this coming, if I'm honest with you. You didn't I, think I'd like it? No, I didn't. I really didn't. Really? I thought you would... Yeah, I thought you would be... I, hate is the word <laughs> I was thinking. <laughs> what, what is this pretentious nonsense? Well, um, it, it, it made me feel a little bit of uh, She Dies Tomorrow. And not in the same way remotely, but oh, I, I just God, remember your violent reaction to She Dies Tomorrow. Because <sighs> it's, it's awful. It's, yeah, well, it's not, it's not the same kind of thing, because that was a very dark, black, the comedic horror. And this is a dark black the comedic horror yeah but the thing is they're both a little bit up their own asses but this is this is i mean the other one was spectacularly up the singularity of its own anus whereas this one is just a little bit self-indulgent but in a good way in a genius way where she dies tomorrow i didn't feel the genius mm-hmm. uh, i i this this was very clever and i i appreciated that if joe's listening to this she's going God, I wish I hadn't bowed out. I, I could have been part of the great conversation about anuses <laughs> about, and bears. About singularity anuses. <laughs> oh, boy. And, um, uh, so four stars. Yes, I was. F- I fully agree with what Jimbo said, and I thought this was uh, absolutely terrific. Four stars uh, for Black Bear. And listen, whilst we're plugging rival podcasts... <laughs> <laughs> the Black Bear I might as well, podcast. I might as well plug uh, Rogue Commentary, which is a podcast that is uh, run by our very own David Hughes, uh, he's a wonderful, wonderful fella, and he does a podcast called Rogue Commentary, in which filmmakers record commentaries for films that don't have commentaries, essentially. So, for the most part, he focuses on retro movies and and legacy films. You know, like legacy fans, you know, football, Super League, all that. Sort of stuff. And uh, mm-hmm. but he has done one with Lawrence Michael Lafine, 
for Black Bear, and there's no commentary for this anywhere else. So if you watch Black Bear this weekend and you are entranced and beguiled uh, and won over by its oddness and you want to know more about it, then go and check out, after our Aubrey Plaza interview, obviously, Lawrence Michael Levine's commentary on Rogue Commentary, available on all your podcast devices of choice. Four stars then for that. Next up is a film that came out on Netflix, I think about a week ago. I think we missed it by a week or so. I'm not entirely sure, but it is Run. It is the latest film from Anish Chiganti, who is the director of that excellent movie Searching that came out a few years ago, the mm-hmm. one that was entirely about John Cho trying to find his daughter whilst basically being on a computer screen or his iPhone. Uh, this is a little bit more free, Hell's Bells, yep. but uh, no less uh, a high concept. No, indeed. So this is uh, centres on Sarah Paulson's Diane Sherman, who is, her we name see- was Sarah Paulson. Sorry, I had to do that. <laughs> you, I know. Um, so she, uh, we, we meet her at the beginning, uh, having given birth, presumably after an accident. She's in hospital, not just for the birth, you know. And the baby has been born prematurely and is suffering a whole host of problems. Uh, yeah. You know, really, really serious condition. And cut to 17 years later, where she and uh, Chloe Sherman, her daughter, who's played by Kira Allen, are living in their little house in the countryside. Um, uh, Chloe has a number of health problems. She uses a wheelchair and she is homeschooled by her mother, who is very protective of her. But she's also a normal teenager. She's uh, smart. She's outgoing. She is waiting for her letter to go to college. It still hasn't arrived. She's getting a little bit frustrated by that. And this all seems to be um, just motoring along until the day that she finds strange pills addressed to her mother's, you know, account or, uh, with her mother's name on them um, in the shopping bag. And then she's given one of these pills and can't quite figure out why. Because she was worried, I think, about her mother's health and is now like, why am I getting this stuff? And it leads her down a rabbit hole, which leads to some conclusions that you may be able to guess, but I'm not going to spoil for you. So uh, it's basically a thriller. It's basically a sort of whatever happened to baby Jane misery sort of a, a setup where one person, Chloe, is in the control of another person, Diane, and that's kind of getting in the way of, of you know, figuring out what's going on or, or taking control of her own life. Kira Allen's really good. I have to say she's really, really good. She is apparently the first genuine wheelchair user to play the lead in a thriller since 1948. Mm-hmm. So that's been quite some time. Um, but she's she's totally game. She, you know, uh, I think there's, I don't know if some of it would be called stunts and I'm sure there's definitely one scene where there's definitely a stunt woman doing it, but she does a lot herself and it's just really plucky and and rootable for and uh, likable, mm-hmm. which I think helps in, in a film like this, which is all about tension and, you know, finding stuff out before you upset the person in, in your life who is closest to you. So, yeah. Am I saying too much? I feel like no, I'm saying too much. I don't think you much. are. I don't think you are. I think it's um, it's got a fun, really dark sense of humor. This movie. Mm. So there, there are lots of cutaways to pictures on the wall that say, you know, escape, escape room, or you can do it, or you know, little things like that. Uh, and there's a, a moment where they go see a movie, and the movie is called Breakout, and yeah, <laughs> little little things that are like that all the way through I the also movie. And coming it's, soon, fake news on the movie oh, really? marquee. Yeah, I, did, I didn't see that. Uh, and it's it's gloriously overwrought and melodramatic mm. at times. It's it's the sort of movie where no one behaves like a real person, but it's okay no. because if you dial into the tone of the thing right away, then it's it's a d- delicious thing to to watch. It's so like really early good fun. on, for example, when she's beginning to suspect that Sarah Paulson, her name 
with Sarah Paulson. When she begins to suspect that her mother may be up to no good, possibly, possibly, it's a sort of movie that someone comes into a room and goes, I see you figured it out in a really sinister tone. And she's like, well, what do you mean? What do you mean? And then she points at the wall and something completely innocuous. It's that kind of movie for <laughs> 90 minutes. Uh, and I had a blast with it, if I'm, yep. if I'm honest with you. I think it maybe tails off a little bit towards the end. But as the dramatic momentum of the film tails off, Sarah Paulson, her name was Sarah Paulson, oh my God. dials up the sheer over-the-top campness, yeah. everything. She goes uh, full know, ratchet. She does go full ratchet. Uh, to, oh. She dials it up to 666 and just goes for it. And it's a it's a lot of fun, mm. I have to say. It's and, a lot of fun. I, I love that one key moment comes down to a lack of um, of wheelchair access. Like I thought that was genuinely inspired um, storytelling. So yeah, it, there, there's some really clever, really dark, really funny stuff in this. And yeah, I had a blast. All right, so Hell's Bells, what would you give this one? I would give this a, probably a high three, I feel like. It's yeah. it's in that very entertaining, but you know, you might not remember it in two weeks' time kind of camp. <laughs> That's kind of where I am with it. Uh, Searching's one of those movies that kind of sticks with you a little bit longer mm. than, than I think Run will, but there's no doubt about it that uh, Anish Chiganti is a director to keep an eye on. Three stars in, that's what we're going to give Run. It's on Netflix right now, and we're going to finish off by talking about another movie which kind of sneaked out a little bit um, over here. It's Antebellum, the Janelle Monet thriller, Antebellum. And this came out in the States months ago. And then one day it just appeared in the sky and I only just noticed it. So thanks. Thanks, everyone. Uh, so, yeah, here it is. Antebellum. Jimbo. This is uh, Gerard Bush and Christopher Renz's uh, film, um, which is a lot to deal with so this is another film like black bear which is kind of two films in one this one begins on a kind yeah. of confederate plantation uh and janelle Monáe plays uh eden an enslaved woman who is working at the cotton fields uh for a brutal confederate uh sort of general or captain or high-ranking confederate officer played by eric lang uh and the first 40 minutes of this film are so unpleasant to film almost like an exploitation movie like mm -hmm. it is every slavery trope you can think of magnified like it's almost like they've gone out of their way to say hey you know those other movies about slavery where we've seen how badly slaves were were treated well they've got nothing on us uh i, I mean it is absolutely horrific it's a really difficult watch and then we flip to the modern day where we see Janelle Monet playing Veronica Henley, who is a sort of uh, intersectional feminist author, an academic, you know, on a book tour with her friends. And you have a section there of her living her life and dealing with friends, but sort of imagery from the plantation is bleeding into her reality. So you have Jenna Malone, who plays this sort of uh, the, the, the daughter of the plantation owner, uh, and she turns up as a sort of, sort of strange person on a Zoom call. And there, I mean, there's a lot, I'm, I'm tiptoeing around this, obviously. There is a big sort of mm -hmm. twist in this, which obviously you want mm -hmm. to avoid because it is the heart of this film's power, as it were. But for me, like, it's an interesting idea and it doesn't quite work. And there are a few reasons, I think, for that. And I think partly is the screenwriting doesn't work. The dialogue is clunky. As I said, the sort of exploitative nature of the sort of opening segment is just so unnecessary. If, you know, nicely shot in places. Um... And it just doesn't work. And in the middle section, Willie, is almost the most 
muddled because again, the dialogue, I think, in particular there doesn't work at all. You're not really sure where it's going. Anyway. It's a little bit boring and sags in the middle as well. And then when you get to sort of the resolution where the twist sort of finally kicks in, then, you know, it, it becomes slightly more compelling. But I think ultimately this film is, and it's it feels like lazy to compare this to Get Out, but I don't think you can help it. Like it is a film like Get Out, which is a horror and it does look at racism and it tries to draw, in this case, parallels between, you know, historic, the history of, uh, of, of American slavery and how that mentality is very much alive and well in modern America. Um, but it doesn't do it with anywhere near... Uh, you know, get out sort of flair or panache or lightness yeah. of touch. Like this is very ham-fisted. And so you can kind of, you can see the gem of something good in here that they were trying to do something. Mm-hmm. You can definitely see where they were going with it. And then you can also see all of the signposts along the way that they missed their turnings and ended up, you know, you know, broken down on a hard shoulder on the A43. Yeah, but I think I think that's it. You can absolutely see why a star like Janelle Monáe would sign on to this, and you know the whole rest of the cast. Like you've got Gabourey Sidibe and uh, Kiersey Clemens and Jenna Jack Malone Houston. and Jack mm. Houston, and like really really good people. You can see what they were all going for. It is well shot, but it's just like I I just feel like we've had so many slavery narratives, and yeah. you really really need a very good excuse to to show that kind of violence and grotesquery again and I don't think this film justifies it. I don't think it's as clever as it thinks it is uh, in order in, in justifying that. So I, I, you know there are some there are some germs of ideas here I just don't think they're carried through properly and and so it ends up being upsetting and grotesque and as, and then as you say in the middle section not very compelling <laughs> and then mm. it's it sort of you know it comes to the conclusion it comes to it, it's yeah yeah i just think it's a waste of everybody involved's time yeah two stars then for antebellum oh and uh, we also missed uh, i think last week a uh, concrete cowboy which is the uh Idris Elba-led uh, film about essentially urban cowboys in the US. So they, uh, they're they based on a real group called the Fletcher Street Cowboys um, in Philadelphia who have horses and ride around on them and, and are cowboys. And our way into this is um, Cole. He's played by Caleb McLaughlin from Stranger Things. He's kind of a troubled teenager. He's getting into trouble at school, get, in fact, get, gets kicked out of school. So his mum dro- drops him off with his dad, Idris Elba's harp, and he kind of maybe sees a way forward and maybe sees a way kind of to get straight and and to kind of have a focus in life by working with these animals and and sort of forms a bond with one of the horses. He's also being pulled in the other direction towards kind of a more criminal life by his friend Smush, who's played by Jarell Jerome, who was so good, of course, in When They See Us. So really, really good cast. I mean, Method Man is in it as well. Really, really good people. Also, Mm. some of the actual Fletcher Street Cowboys, which is cool. but it's it's a little been there seen that in terms of the the fictionalized bits of the plot so that was a little bit of a disappointment but the the actual setup and the world of it is i thought really fascinating and all the performances were good this sounds great yeah i've mm. seen this on uh this popped up on netflix didn't it so that's yeah, where it yeah. is at the moment netflix so yeah i think my wife and i are going to try and see it this weekend but I just didn't get around to it this week sadly uh but three stars, three stars then for Concrete Cowboy. And there's another film you wanted to talk about as well, isn't there, Bells? Yeah, just a documentary called House of Cardin, which I thought, find really fascinating. It's about Pierre Cardin, the fashion designer, sort of tracing through his career, uh, making the argument quite compellingly. I thought that he was one of the kind of, he was, well, he was, he was a fashion innovator, but also he innovated in terms
terms of representation, in terms of his models, in terms of his choices, and in terms of making his brand, you know, a brand around the world and not just, you know, a tiny little couture house in Paris. So it's a really fascinating film. Lots of very famous people contribute to it, including, uh, you know, well, through archive footage, The Beatles. Uh, he did their their suits for, I think, their first Ed Sullivan show. Um, mm. But like Naomi Campbell's in there, uh, Sharon Stone's in there, really, really big people. And and it just tells a really fascinating story. Um, Cardan himself only died a couple of years ago at the age of 98. So he's actually wow. around and is a presence in a lot of the film and is very frank about some elements of his life uh, in a way that I find quite hilarious coming from a 90-something. So enjoy. Bloody hell. Bloody hell, what a week, what a lineup, what a list, what a time to be alive. And on that note, that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun. We'll be reviewing, might be one of the best weeks for mm. movies of the year so far. Yeah, We'll be reviewing Nomadland, which I fully expect to be the newly minted Best Picture winner. We'll be reviewing The Mitchells versus The Machines, Ooh. which is, spoiler alert, five stars. We'll be reviewing Michael B. Jordan in Without Remorse. <gasps> and we'll be reviewing Wild Mountain Time. Begara, Bejesus. Oh, yes, indeed, we will. Oh. And there's more. There's more. Oh, yes, indeed. Uh, for I will be talking to Emily Blunt and Jamie Darnan about that film. So I will. So at least I hope I, I hope I will, because I did the interview months ago and I may have deleted the file. So I really hope not. Otherwise, <laughs> we don't have any guests for next week and I could be up at fucking shit creek. But anyway, hopefully next week, Emily Blunt and Jamie Darnan. Jesus. Begara, maybe half an hour in heaven before the devil knows you're dead. All that stuff. Uh, genuinely, I think the accents aren't that bad in that thing. But uh, but hey ho, <laughs> but hey ho. What do I know? What do I know? Uh, but until we meet again, until then, until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye. Joe has already left the building. She didn't do a funny squadcast name. Um, she yeah, just she did. had the, she the changed default. It she changed yeah, it. She did, yeah. didn't she? Yeah. Serena of Geekdom. That's right. Thank you. Thank you for reminding me of that. Yes, so goodbye from the Serena of Geekdom, Joe Robinson, and it's goodbye from my two colleagues of such lethal cunning, Black Bear and the Maiden Fair. What yes. does that mean, James Dyer? Oh, Christopher. Oh, you sweet summer child. That's, <laughs> that is a deep cut Game of Thrones reference. Yeah, it is. Black uh, Bear, Black Bear, all covered in hair. Yeah. It's a song. It's a song. Don't worry it's about a song. It's a okay. song. Like, it's a song by Tom Bombadil. <laughs> yes, He's yes, because famous Game of Thrones character not, oh. and former Hand of the King, Tom Bombadil. Oh, God. Yeah. It's goodbye from Rock'em Sock... Hang on. Rock'em Sock Helen. Look, I, I mean, was, you're not even I trying was, anymore. No, not really. <laughs> I, just, I, did, I was completely, completely out of inspiration today. I was trying to play with all the names of the films that were out this week and just none of them really fit with my name. So I just... And this is a news story we didn't even talk about. Vin Diesel's doing Rock'em Sock'em Robots movie. Okay. Okay. Sure, that's happening. Yeah, that would have so. made more sense if we'd done that. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought so. so well, yeah. we, we could talk about it now. Well, I, th I feel like we just did, so, yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, and it's goodbye from me, Super League Man. <laughs> I'm off to shoot a video apologising to the fans of the Empire Podcast for, well, yes, the failure of the Super League of Podcasts, but a lot of things, actually. In hindsight, I have a lot of things to apologise to you guys for. Oh, dear. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. Bye.